It is Free Talk Live, day four of the Porcupine Freedom Festival. I'm kind of relieved here. The crowd doesn't appear to have gotten that much larger than it was yesterday. I mean, it's already a large crowd. Campground is surprisingly packed, considering... I mean, yesterday was Wednesday, and it was about as packed then as it was today. And it's just an enormous crowd here at Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. Unfortunately, you can't come and hang out with us if you don't already have a ticket. You'll have to catch us at Fort Fest, and we'll talk about that later. With you today, though, it's Mark. Uh, but, but did you just say Mark and Aria? Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Look, I woke up like an hour ago, and I don't do caffeine anymore, so it's my brain isn't all there. So I'm Aria, and that's Mark, and we're joined by Stefan Kinsella. Stefan, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. Now, Stefan's, uh, I guess, probably known mostly in libertarian circles for intellectual property debates. But, um, I mean, you know, you're, you've written books and uh, done speeches on a variety of different topics. Um, can you give us a breakdown of what you're known for as far as intellectual property, and then we'll go from there? Well, yeah, I'm a practicing patent attorney and a longtime libertarian uh, writer, Austrian type. Um, but I've also been opposing patent law and copyright law ever since I passed the patent bar back in 1994. So, uh, but I've also written a lot on other libertarian areas like rights theory, contract theory, legal theory, uh, causation, aggression, punishment, that kind of stuff. Yeah, the, the whole variety of topics. Um, uh, there was a, I, I remember an online debate where you were talking about, uh, you know, in you know, in this libertarian uh, fantasy world where there wouldn't be. Um, uh, th- there wouldn't be uh, these sort of LLCs and corporations that allow people to not have uh, responsibility for their actions and, and responsibility for the actions of the companies that they're involved in. Um, do you have uh, – yeah, yeah, I, w- I want to talk about that. Yeah, there's been a lot of debate in libertarian circles uh, for, for decades now about corporations yeah. and w- this thing called limited liability that they have and whether that's a special privilege that sh- they should be denied. A lot, of, a lot of the left libertarians think they shouldn't have that. Um, my view tra- on it? Say again? Where do you come down on it? So my, my view traces back to that of Robert Hessen, who wrote probably the best thing on this. It was called In Defense of the Corporation back in the 70s. Uh, and then some some of the comments on this also by Roger Pallon of Cato and, and Murray Rothbard, who talk about um, um, the uh, what limited liability tries to do is it tries to say that shareholders, who are the owners of the corporation, are not personally liable for torts committed by employees of the corporation, okay? And so, in my view, that's actually perfectly fine. They should not be liable because, in general, everyone should be liable for their own actions. No, and it makes sense. A shareholder isn't in charge of hiring Correct. firing employees. Correct. So, but because there's some c- confusion in political theory and in legal circles about this kind of common idea that ownership implies responsibility, which I think actually does not. I think actions imply responsibility, not ownership. Ownership is the right to do something. It's not a responsibility. But anyway, you have this idea that if you're the owner of something, then you're responsible for it. Like if you own a dog and the dog bites someone, you're responsible for that. You know, if, you're, if you own your wife and she does something, I guess you're responsible for what she does. Well, you're so, certainly responsible for your kids to some extent. And there's uh, – although they you don't own them, there's uh, – there's, there's a slight bit of difference between Correct. them being your ward and them being your, your slave. Right? So, so there, there's exceptions to the, the general rules that everyone should be responsible for their own actions. But if you want to make a second person what we call secondarily or vicariously reliable, you need a reason for that. And in the case of parents, because you're supervising the kid um, and you have some responsibility to raise them a certain way, then you could say you have responsibility. But 
in general, there's no reason why merely ha- having an, a share in Exxon means that you, just by owning that share, means that you should be liable for a tort committed by the by the uh, captain of, of, of a tanker, for example. Because I understand you that aspect of limited liability. What I don't understand is the aspect that would allow, like, a CEO or a board of directors to not be culpable for actions taken by the and, corporation. And, and limited liability doesn't do that. So, okay. so everyone has a misconception about it. Limited liability only says shareholders are not liable. Okay. But uh, the directors and the managers who supervise the actions could be liable under the theory of respondeat superior, which is like the master is in charge of the acts committed by their servants. Okay, so that's the theory of secondary liability, where the corporation as an entity or the managers who supervise are liable. But then they're usually covered by DNO insurance. So every empl- every corporation tends to have directors and officers liability insurance, because I'm not going to take a job with Apple on their board of directors or as the CEO if I'm going to be personally liable for billions of dollars. I'm going to want some insurance to cover that. Indeed, um, one of the things that it uh, makes me think of is so um, if a boss tells an employee that they um, they need to work a 24-hour shift, and that employee, we're using ship captains here, um, so the ship captain has to you know, run, we don't have a second mate for you, you're going to have to run the ship for the next 48 hours, taking it from, I don't know how far you can go in 48 hours, uh, floor, uh, Tampa to uh, New Orleans, right? Um, and at that point, it sounds like the boss is responsible for the actions, because they've given an unreasonable request. You, no you, one- yeah, you could make an argument that they, they are, and they should be liable, but again, that's not the shareholders. The right, shareholders just own shares. And so the objection most people have to corporations is limited liability for the shareholders. Uh, but I don't think that's a special privilege because I think that's the natural way it would be. So the point is, in a free market without incorporation law, which gives legal entity status to these corporations, they're legally a person. Actually, that's that's actually not a privilege. It's a, it's a bad thing because now these corporations have to pay income taxes – Right, so you right. have double taxation happening. So if you got rid of the corporate incorporation statutes and you had a libertarian legal system, you could have people form businesses, call them whatever they want, but they would have a similar feature to corporations. They could be limited liability partnerships, sure. for example, and the and the the liability the limited partners would be contributing capital and they would have an ownership right, but they wouldn't have a liability for torts committed by the employees of that of that business organization. So you could basically form the equivalent of a corporation without limited liability law yep. and this business wouldn't be subject to double taxation. I mean, yeah. it does seem obvious that within a libertarian society people who had invested in a company and got shares in it wouldn't be responsible for the actions undertaken by employees of that company. It seems like in a libertarian society, a rational society, such a case would be immediately dismissed as, okay, well, you can't hold Bob accountable for what the company he invested in did. And, and, and this is what Rothbard and Hessen and Roger Pallon, they all argue that the theory underpinning the idea that the corporation itself should be liable for the actions of the employees is respondeat superior, which itself is problematic because it's based upon this old uh, shadow slavery idea. Like you own a slave sure. and you're responsible for what they do, this master-servant relationship. Um, but in this modern capitalist society, everyone should be responsible for their own actions. It's, it's not even so clear to me that the corporation itself should be liable in every case for the negligence of an employee. But even if you say they should be, then, then the, the victim of the tort can only go after the assets of the corporation, which would include the shares owned by the shareholders. So it's just that they're not personally liable beyond that. They might lose all their value. If Exxon is sued from some horrific accident and they go bankrupt right. then all the shareholders shares go to zero okay right. that's a risk they take that's it's fine. responsibility yeah it's Correct. a certain level of responsibility but they shouldn't be personally su- sued now there's an exception in the law which i don't disagree with and that is when you have not a mere passive shareholder but an, what's called an active shareholder which often happens in a small company where one guy 
by virtue of his owning 90% of the company, he right. tells them what to do. He effectively is pulling the strings. Yeah. In that case, he could be liable too, just like a director. Just like a director. Or a manager could be. He effectively is a director. He's effectively he's an active shareholder instead of a merely passive shareholder. Indeed. Um, so do you have any uh, – are, are you working with the Libertarian Party, the Mises Caucus, any of that stuff these I days? Joined, I did – you know, I, I've been a Libertarian since the 80s, but I never was a member of the party uh, because I always thought politics was futile, and I still sort of do, to be honest. <laughs> but um, I like that the Libertarian Party gives me a president to vote for. That I, I know, do, too. Don't have to feel and, bad and I've always it. voted they Libertarian. I voted for Ron Paul in 88, you know, so I was voting even back then. But um, I joined – Three years and 11 months ago. I know that now because (laughs) I joined the party with Tom Woods and Dave Smith and some of these guys joined because I was thinking, you know, they are my people. They they may not be as Austrian as me or whatever, but uh, they're my people. And uh, I, I, I at least want them to run libertarian candidates. And um, as, as far as the Libertarian Party goes, are you uh, you happy with your membership? I mean, I think there's been some changes going I, on. I am, especially because uh, you know a lot. I went to the convention in Reno, and uh, the Mises Caucus swept, and it was exciting to see. Uh, I was able to draft um, a, a property rights and aggression amendment to the platform, which was uh, the very last thing considered and adopted. So my very version cool. so of... So, Stefan, where can people go to find out more about what you're up to? StefanKinsella.com. Stefan Kinsella. Can you spell Kinsella for me? K-I-N-S-E-L-L-A-L-L-A. And Stefan is with an A. P-H-A. Thank you so much. There's more coming up here from the Porcupine Freedom Festival live on site. It is Free Talk Live. And we're not actually live. Sorry about that. Free Talk Live. <laughs> Free Talk Live from Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. We do today, it's Aria. And Mark, we're talking about Bitcoin.com. Bitcoin.com is your choice for all things cryptocurrency, whether it's Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, or even uh, Ethereum. Uh, do they got, have Ethereum there? I thought they it, do. Okay. Yep, cool. and they've got lots of other coins there too, and you can learn so much. Just go uh, to Bitcoin.com, click on Get Started right there. There's several videos you can look at just to understand things, and if you're a longtime Bitcoiner, you can go to news.bitcoin.com and find all the news that's relevant to you. All of it at Bitcoin.com. Awesome. Thanks so much. Did you happen to watch uh, Who Killed Bitcoin last night? No, I did not. It's it's really good. I immediately, uh, I, I, I was shocked by how, how good it really was. I mm. mean, it, it portrays the history of Bitcoin in, in exactly the way that, you know, I was there for a lot of it. So I, I remember it. But here they condensed it all down to a 50-minute long video about how the the interest of Bitcoin was taken over by your your mega banks, your your Council of Foreign Relations. It didn't actually mention them, I don't think, but it, it meant the Bilderberg Group uh, that Bitcoin Core, BTC, has been co-opted by these special interests that are aiming to take control of cryptocurrency and set themselves up as the gatekeepers of crypto. So, if you haven't checked it out, look it up on YouTube. That's Who Killed Bitcoin. Well, we're joined now by longtime friend of the show, Jeffrey Tucker of the Brownstone Institute. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey, welcome back to the show. Oh, uh, yeah, thank you. And I wish I'd seen that film. It would have been very interesting. They played it right here at the Mises Caucus yeah. tent. Oh, uh, okay. I, I suspect they'll be doing nightly screenings because they didn't buy this. They yeah. had this blow-up blow screen sort of thing. Which yeah, I saw that last night. It, okay. It's interesting. It doesn't work very well in the yeah. wind, as, as you <laughs> might 
expect. So something with a bit more structure to it would be <laughs> ideal. <laughs> but but it's a fascinating topic because boy, I sure I sure felt it at the time. I remember because I was a huge Bitcoiner, you know, back in 2012 and 13. And by 15, things began to change, you know, dramatically. Yeah. And it became expensive and slow. That which was when Blockstream really yeah. entered the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then, of course, all the forking began. And, and, uh, and I really began to wonder, okay, well, if, <clears throat> if there's no use case, uh, you know, at, in what magic world is it that Bitcoin turns out to be, you know, the most valuable uh, commodity? So I was always a big... Uh, I was a, I guess they say a big blocker, which makes me, you know, the enemy of the so-called maximalists, you know, <laughs> and but I've always avoided those civil wars. I just think they're all a little bit ridiculous, you know. People need to get a life. It was certainly relevant, though. Uh, oh, it really mattered at the time. I mean, we were on the way to adoption, widespread adoption, actually, yep. and then it just stopped. I'm not a I'm not a big fan of wading into the crypto wars myself, but I don't have much common ground with the Bitcoin maxis. Uh-huh. As soon as someone starts talking about the Lightning Network, that that tells me a lot about them. I think as, as a cryptocurrency advocate, where their goals are largely opposite of mine. Like I mm. want to see a decentralized currency that we use to depower the state to spread the power among the masses because the state has proven that when it has the power to control currency, it uses it to fund wars and devastation abroad and at home versus a decentralized currency that isn't able to do that because the government can't just inflate it it to pay for all of this nonsense. But the Bitcoin core people, the maximalists, they don't seem to care about that. To them, it's it's just an asset class. It's just something for them to make money and they want it to be unusable. They're proud when they see these headlines that say something like 85% of Bitcoin hasn't moved in five years or whatever. Yeah, they're against adoption. It's very strange. How are you going to become a currency if you're against whether well, they don't want it to become a currency? It is. There, there's a, that's a different w- way of thinking about Bitcoin than I had come to believe in when I fell in love with it. Um, so, and the other thing about the maximalist position is that I don't, I don't understand why it is they, they can be so, so doggedly convinced that there's only one true crypto, you know, and that everything else is ridiculous. And that's what they, that's why they talk. Uh, unless you get them in private and then they'll admit, you know, okay. It was very weird. Last year, there was a Bitcoin maximalist uh, gathering event thing right right across the aisle from us here. And someone went up there and they offered to give $5 worth of Bitcoin cash to anyone who would accept an alternative currency. And the Bitcoin maximalists, they, they just refused this free $5 of Bitcoin cash just because it wasn't Bitcoin Core. And he off, it wasn't just because it was Bitcoin cash, which is, you know, a fork of Bitcoin Core. Someone else got the, essentially the same result with Monero and things like that. But what we ended up finding out, I mean, as I said, we were across the aisle from the Bitcoin maximalists through, through all of last year's Porcupine Freedom Festival was that, to my knowledge, none of them had actually transacted in Bitcoin to make right. a purchase or <clears throat> right. to sell anything. Right. Well, it's very sad because there was a great movement to get retailers to adopt Bitcoin as a, a, an acceptance and movement to get people to adopt it as, as, as consumers. Um, and then it all just kind of shut down uh, over the course of, am I, am I remembering correctly, but between 2015 and 2017, that was kind of it. It killed yeah. the, whole, the whole movement. 
It has uh, been um, frustrating to watch it happen. Of course, Bitcoin lives on. Uh, it's been pronounced dead repeatedly, but it, oh, yeah. it, it lives on. So you're here at the Porcupine Freedom. So you've already uh-huh. given one speech. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, they invited me early, you know, on Wednesday to give a talk, and 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 it, it was good because it incentivized me to come down here early. Yeah, I've been and anxious I like because be- in my mind, you're usually only here for like your day or two. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, and then I found out that you gave a speech yesterday. I was like, so is he even still here? Yeah, yeah. Somebody no. find him. No, well, they they scheduled me on Saturday night and Wednesday. Uh, too, which was good because then you know, then now suddenly you're camp, you know, you're camping okay. out here for the whole time, and I like being at Porkfest. It's a wonderful, it is a great time. Experience. So, what are you speaking about Saturday? Uh, uh, Saturday, I'm talking about something I, about which not many people, I think, really understand, and particularly libertarians are naive about this, but but really everybody is, and it's and it's about the what uh, what we call the administrative state. Which is which is a kind of a superstructure that sits on top of the state. I call it the real state. It's the permanent bureaucracy of right. depending on how you want to count it between two and nine million people who can't ever get fired. They're they're a totalitarian force. They they believe that they run the country, and they regard the political class as ridiculous. And uh, and and they're the people who've been running the the country over the last two and a half years. You know, especially since COVID. And and I don't think that most political activists have any clue about just the grave challenge that they face. Well, it's uh, very much like Thomas Paine wrote in The Rights of Men, right? Where you know, P- King Louis was the symbol of the oppression, all of that stuff. But as Thomas Paine pointed out, King Louis wasn't responsible for the people imprisoned at, at the Bastille. There, was just, there wasn't just one tyranny that was King Louis. There were thousands yeah. of these despotisms in France that all of them had to be broken down. It wasn't just Joe Biden yeah. or Barack Obama or Donald Trump or anywhere else. It's this entire bureaucratic yep. monster that yep. is doing the real and They don't understand. I mean, like a lot of new politicians have no clue about this. Even if you get elected president, you get 4,000 picks of your own. Most of those picks, even if you get around to hiring those people, they're very naive. They have no idea what they're doing. They show up at the Justice Department or the uh, Department of Housing and Urban Development or the CDC. And they Can you think, stick with us for a few yeah, Okay. Yeah. I, I'm actually I'm absolutely surprised by that. 4,000 picks from the president. And that yeah, seems but like that's a it. lot. That's all, though. And they're powerless. They're totally powerless. There is Uh, more coming up here from the Porcupine Freedom Festival. It is Free Talk Live. Do you feel like your country no longer holds your values? Have you dreamt of a place where liberty-minded people can come together and leave government overreach behind? There are many people just like you that are discovering FreePrivateCities.com. They start at FreePrivateCities.com and connect via the social media links shown there. All skills will be needed when the first of the Free Private Cities open. It's sooner than you think. Stop arguing and build FreePrivateCities.com. FreePrivateCities.com It is Free Talk Live with R.M. Mark, joined by Jeffrey Tucker of the Browstone Institute, talking about the, the, 
the web that is the administrative state here. And it's surprising to me. I've never really given it much thought. I knew that the president, you know, they appoint people and things like that. I never gave it any thought to wonder how many of these people does a president actually appoint? And what is the impact of these people? Evidently, Jeffrey, you said it's about 4,000 people. But that's that's a drop in the bucket compared to the actual administrative state that we have. They show up as the heads of these departments, which is presumably mean they're in charge. But they're not in charge because there's bureaucrats who have been there for 30, 40 years. They pay no attention to the comings and goings of these people. And they either <laughs> complain. That's really true. I believe it's they, they put the, they, I've always believed it. No, they put the pictures on the wall and call them, you know, Madam Secretary, Mr. Secretary, whatever, but otherwise pay no attention to the whatever. Because, it ta- first of all, it takes the, the, the guy like six months. six months just to get the hang of things. And then he's like, wait, why are we spending uh, $5 billion on this nonsense? And, well, this is just the way it is. Well, let's, let's change that. No, we can't do that. Well, if the guy pushes too hard, yeah. next thing you know, um, there's a scandal. Is he promoted? Or fired. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- there's a scandal, right? But so the Washington Post is like, well. There's a the, what? A, a scandal. A scandal. Okay. The Washington, Washington Post will run an article saying the new, the Secretary of the Interior ordered, you know, a fancy bottle of wine last night at taxpayer expense. So, you know, whatever okay, the sure. thing is. And and they can generate these scandals and get, distract them from the work. And if the scandal gets bad enough, the guy's, of course, the guy gets has to resign. Um and and so there's a strong incentive for these for these political appointees just to go along with the bureaucracy, or else the bureaucracy kills them. And it's sport. I mean, the the, the permanent administrative state regards it killing uh, uh, political appointees as sport. That's how they treat it. And I, I remember there was a lot of there, there was a lot of frustration around. Uh, among the left and a lot of cheering among the right about the appointment of uh, Betsy Devos, I believe it was, yep. as the Secretary of Education right. or something like that. That's a good example, a and, great example. And there was a lot of fear that, you know, the entire school system was going to change or anything like that. But as I understand it, nothing changed. No, nothing. And she couldn't change. It was only because she wanted change. And next thing you know, the New York Times will run a headline, worst Secretary of Education ever. You know, that wow. kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> and so she was hounded. And and her private life, you know, she was doxxed and called stupid, and people are looking through her grades in high school, and right. you they name can't it. Find uh, something she's actually done that's illegal or bad or wrong. No, then, then they, they just, just have to, to retreat. They cancel to, She's dumb. Yeah, she's dumb. And so that was the reputation. And so she was, you know, uh, regarded by the permanent bureaucracy as an enemy. And it's, she's a very interesting person. I know her, and she's very smart. And. Well, one doesn't become the Secretary of Education or whatever the exact t- job title was right. while being stupid. No, she's brilliant, and but the, they hounded her out of the job, and she just left all bruised and bloodied and everything. Well, she gave an interview the other day, and God bless her. She said, you know what really needs to happen to the Department of Education? It needs to be abolished. Yeah. Okay, why does yeah. she say that? B- because she knows that it cannot be reformed. That's what she tried to do. She tried to reform it, and they killed her. And so now she's like, look, you got to get rid of these departments, which is basically my message on Saturday night. Unless, <laughs> and we've got Republicans coming to office probably in, in January, in, uh, in November, and they're all going to be stupid and naive. What they need to understand is that the politicians don't actually run the country. It's the administrative state that runs the country. If the politicians really want to make a difference, they have to first kill that beast. 
that's got to be the priority. And I don't know how you do it because the beast uh, traces all the way back to 1883 in my own dating of this whole thing. Tell me about 1883. What happened in this time frame? Because I would have, I mean, the first thing that I would have thought of was w- Wilson or a variety of things. So um, tell me about it. Oh, I know. Well, that was uh, the, the uh, <laughs> 1881 was the uh, killing, the assassination of uh, Garfield. Garfield. Okay. And, and the guy who did that turned out his motivation was that he was promised a job at the administration and he didn't get one. So he shot the president in the torso from behind at a Baltimore train station. Well, (laughs) so the president kicked the bucket and his successor was Chester Allen. Arthur is also a president. Nobody's ever heard of. And people came to him and said, look, we've got to make some reforms in the law so that somebody won't similarly kill you. He's like, good point. What do you suggest? <laughs> <laughs> what do you suggest? And they're like, well, let's look at this guy's Goutreau, I think it was his name was. Uh, what were his motivations? Well, he was mad he didn't get a job. So the way to fix that is to make federal jobs permanent. So once you get a federal job, you'll always be able to keep it so we can get the politics out of these important role of, of being uh, you know, the, the stable state that, that, that's immortal, that lives beyond politics, and that way uh, will reduce the incentive to kill the president. So it's that, sort of that like, was the theory. It's sort of the same reason they want the Supreme Court to be a lifelong appointment. It's because that way it's supposed to transcend the political landscape. Yeah, and maybe like it's right in that case, but the thing about creating a permanent civil service is that you've created a separate state that's actually more powerful than the one we elect. And, and so what happened in 1883 is they passed what was called the Pendleton Act, which created the modern civil service. It was like, okay, you get hired. Uh, no president, no uh, legislature can, can control you, can fire you. Wow. And so that, and that's, that began in 1883. It wasn't so bad at first because it only applied to 10% of the federal workforce. But, of course, it got worse after the income tax and World War I and the Federal Reserve then got created. That's, you know, a, a beast. Certainly. And, and the IRS. And, you know, and so it just got in. Then, and then next thing you know, we had the New Deal, then World War II, then the Great Society, and then Richard Nixon and all of his crap. So, wow, you know, we wake up now in 2020 and we realize, or 2022, those are our masters. Those are, I mean, there's right. a, who locked you down? I mean, who closed your churches? Who closed your businesses? It was obviously the administrative state. Who else could it be? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. The politicians never voted for this. Right. And Trump tried to stop it. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> you know, they just laughed at him at some point. And I said it on the air multiple times when it was first happening with COVID is, is that the most American thing in the world is civil disobedience in order to go to church when the government orders you, you can't. I mean, it's right. about as American as it gets from the very founding. This is a nation of people who, you know, fervently believed in their religious rights. And, and we acquiesced. And part of the reason we went along is we didn't know who was doing this to us. Because we, uh, we talk to our politicians, they'd say, I don't, I don't know. That's what the <laughs> CDC says. Well, and Trump was, was against it, you know, at some point. But he couldn't control. The, and he said, look, this guy Fauci, he, well, I got to fire his ass. And people said, Mr. President, you can't do that. 
Like, what are you talking about? He works for me. Well, yeah, he does work for you, but there's the laws in this country that you cannot fire these kind of people. Him and two uh, to five to ten million others, you have no control over them. He's like, what the hell? I'm the president of the United States. There's no more powerful office, right? Well, there is. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a lot. The administrative there's, state. There's, there's millions of more powerful offices than than the presidency and and this is what and trump did not know this you know that's the important thing he he was blindsided well he ran on uh drain the swamp right like he he believed it seems he didn't have the power to drain the swamp he never could believe that it's unclear i don't think trump's been in the swamp his entire life i don't believe that's true but let's say he wanted to he couldn't do it and nobody told him that and so we live in a fake world where the politicians make promises, they say they're going to do this, they're going to say do that. They don't have the power to do shit, right. anything. The, it, well, the same's with Bernie Sanders. I mean, if you um, not to, I, you know, I'm, I think these guys were great populist examples. I'm not trying to besmirch them. I'm just trying to say, as as far as their campaigns go, they said a lot of stuff that obviously they couldn't deliver. They on. They can't possibly deliver on it. Now, uh, my friend, ha, funny that I call him friend, uh, Steve Bannon. Uh, tells me that Hold I'm that thought for one second. Yeah. We'll have to come back to it here in just a moment. There is more coming up here from the Porcupine Freedom Festival. It is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live from the Porcupine Freedom Festival here at the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. Day four, I believe. I don't exactly, I'm not very good at keeping track of what day it actually is from one day to the next here because time sort of, it doesn't become meaningless, but it does take on a slightly different and less important meeting here at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. And I want to tell you about Truth Smacks. If you like fruit uh, trail mix and things like that, check out truthsmacks.com. Our friend Susan, who we had on the show the other night, she makes these herself out of a commercial kitchen in Naples, Florida. And they're called Truth Smacks because with every bag, you can smack your friends and family in the face with the truth in a loving way because each bag has a number of quotes on the back. Some of them are freedom-oriented. Some of them are just, you know, they're just truth quotes in general. There are two different varieties and two different sizes. One of them is peppermint infused. It's, it's worth a shot. People say it's interesting, and it's, it's for some. Some people really like it. So check it out at truthsmacks.com slash shop if you want to buy some. That's truthsmacks.com. With you today is Arya and Mark, and we're joined by Jeffrey Tucker. And Jeffrey, before we had to go out to break, you were telling us a story about Steve Bannon. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I'm, I'm often on the show all the time, which is funny because I used to be a big critic of him. And I, I guess I still am. But anyway, has I did not know show. Steve Bannon had a show. Oh, it's huge. I tell you what, every time I go on, our website blows up. It's got 10,000 views instantly. I mean, it's, the guy is wow. yeah, he's, he's a big deal. But anyway, I was talking to him about this problem, and he said, look, you, you're too pessimistic. Whatever man has made, man can unmake, which is an interesting point, but like the so point. That, which, which raises the question, how? So I would say that you, well, first of all, voters are not very interested in this topic. Well, voters are barely interested in anything but the presidential race. I oh, mean, that's probably right. If you didn't have the presidential race to divide us all, I don't know that you'd get 10% turnout. 
I think it's probably, yeah, it's probably right. But if you're running for Senate and you stand up and say, I'm going to restrain and even abolish the administrative state, people are falling asleep or whatever. But it's probably the most important thing you could ever do. There was a Supreme Court decision in 1984 that might be very soon overturned that could actually make it have a devastating impact. I'll tell you what it is. It's called the Chevron decision. Now, this is the case of the Environmental Protection Agency versus Chevron, and Chevron was saying, "Oh, this agency sucks." And a court and Supreme Court said, "Well, uh, yeah, it kind of sucks." How and and Chevron was saying that what the EPA is doing is is not consistent with the law, and and they're right. But but the, what the court said is, look, unless something specifically is banned by legislation. The agency's interpretation of that legislation has to prevail in practice. That's called the Chevron precedent. Unless something is banned by legislation, say it, say it again. All right. Unless something is specifically banned by legislation uh, and the agency interprets it as permissible for the agency to do, right. then it's the obligation of the courts always to defer to the agency. I see. So the agency, unless legislation is said otherwise, the Contrary. agency gets to decide what it is and isn't That's allowed right. to do. And I'll give you an Doesn't example. That give a lot of power to the uh, executive? If, <laughs> to the administrative state. It's almost right. all power. So a good example of this is the masking on transportation and, air, and airplanes. I see. Now, with the federal floor judge has said that's ridiculous. There's nothing in the law that says you can you can mandate this. Mm-hmm. The uh, 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 the, the CDC referred to the Public Health uh, Service Act of 1944, which was passed during wartime, uh, but that banned the importation of of diseased animals to the U.S. Okay, right. that was the legislation they referred to, and there's one little word in there that said something like, and that also puts the CDC in charge of sanitation generally for the country, that or whatever. Anyway, um, the, the Florida court said. That has nothing to do with masks on airplanes. That is ridiculous. You can't cite one word, sanitation, and and therefore dictate the clothing choices of you know hundreds of millions of people. But this you can cite this 1984 case. That well, says- so here's the thing: in making that judgment, she was explicitly um, or implicitly repudiating the Chevron decision. Yep. So if this case goes to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court upholds that Florida decision, Chevron will be repe- automatically repealed. And that would that be fantastic. Will be immense. That, that will dial back the administrative state substantially, which means that, that the federal agencies only have the power to do that which Congress has given them the power to do, only that, and no more elaborate interpretations. So that's the first step. But ultimately, I think we have to take on the Pendleton Act of 1883. I mean, that's tell the, me about that one. Though, I don't that's, know what that is that, that's the one that was passed in in, in oh. light of Garfield's death that created the permanent civil service. I see. What I'm saying is, in a way, what we need to do is bring back the so-called spoils system. So every new president can hire and fire everybody who works for the federal government. Everybody. He's going to hire his cronies and fire the other guys, bad guys. And so that every four years we get massive upheaval and employment in federal in the federal agencies. That will defang them. Yeah, it that, would make them that, so inefficient. I love it because yeah. we spend the first few years going, yeah. all right, what is this mess I yeah. just We got to take on. So that's my view. We have to take on, we have to basically abolish the civil service 
and take on the Pendleton Act fundamentally and uproot it and repeal it. That can happen, but it's hard to imagine the circumstances under which it does, mainly because this is, even though it's the, in in my mind, maybe the most important issue, it's the one that's least interesting to the average person. Sure. It's not a... But drain the swamp well, is a boring. great. I mean, s- administration, bureaucracy. These are boring words that cause the average person's eyes right. to just sort of. Well, Trump had a lot over. of success with drain the swamp. Yeah, right? he had a lot of success. But with what he did not know is that he couldn't do it. Right, he had no power to do that. But the legislature could. The legislature could do it. They could do it with the right piece of legislation. Maybe the Republicans are mad enough. I don't think they're quite mad enough yet, but maybe we're getting there. You're giving I, me an idea, though, because I'm currently yeah. running for state rep here in New Hampshire. Yeah. And I think, you know, abolish the administrative state will be one of my taglines. Absolutely. It's the most important thing. We need to get it going. Maybe it won't happen for another 10 years or 20 years. But we have to, we have to at least understand the problem if we're going to fix it. That's the issue. Sure. Most people have no clue. They think the politicians run the country. They don't. It's the permanent bureaucrats who run the country. We should know that by now. I've I sort mean, of seen that with the federal case that I have going on. Uh, yeah. We're being who's heading up the case is uh, John John Farley or John Kennedy. I don't remember the exact name. He's the head U.S. attorney for this district. But the actual prosecutors are these guys who are going to remain there no matter who the That's right. head attorney is. They're immortal. Yes, <laughs> they, they always stay the same. You know, their career prosecutors yeah. or whatever, it doesn't matter to them who the head That's prosecutor right. is because the head prosecutor isn't the one out there doing stuff. He's just oh, a- these people are so arrogant. And if you've ever known anybody, I used to live in Alexandria, Virginia, and all my neighbors work for the Department of Labor, the Department of Defense, the Department of this, Department of that. And I'd try to get them to talk about politics. They were hilarious. They're aggressively uninterested. <laughs> it's, it's part of the ethos. Oh, that clown show. It's, it's like if they asked me, hey, did you go to the circus? I'd be like, no, nah, I don't go to the circus. That's the way they sure. looked at politics. It's, that's the circus, but they're the government. That's how they think. Well, I think they are. I think that they. they I think they're correct. <laughs> yeah, they're I don't correct. think they're. I don't think it's right, and I don't think it's good. Um, because, and I wouldn't even say that the president uh, cycling people in and cycling people out is necessarily good. It's I just better. think it's better, it's better. <laughs> than what we've got. The, the spoil system. Uh, when, when Andrew Jackson was elected, he fired absolutely every person who worked for the federal government right. and brought in all of his cronies. That's a better system than what we right. have now. I would agree. Our president and Jackson got something anti- done. He stopped the Second National Bank, That's which true. no president has achieved anything quite that. Uh, Actually, Lincoln killed more Americans than anybody else. That's a pretty high achievement. That's yeah. not an achievement, though. That's. A black it is, mark. It's it is a stain if you're a on his cruel record. dictator. Okay. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true. It's a, it's a good point about Second National Bank. So, in those days, the spoil system allowed fundamental change. I mean, why haven't we seen fundamental change in our lifetimes? This is the reason. There is no change because the state is not, it, it lives outside the democratic process. I mean, this is, this is contrary to the Constitution. Right. This is not the system we're supposed to have in this country. We have nine million overlords that are completely protected from, the, from public opinion, from, uh, from the political class, from the legislature, from the courts. It's a dictatorship. So and there are rulers. Repealing this 1883 Act is yeah. the best Pendleton. way to go about the Pendleton Act. Thank you so yep. much. <laughs> yeah, it's the way to, as far as I can, my reconstruction of history is that that's what we got to do with. 
We got to well, deal with it. I look forward to coming down and hearing you speak Saturday. Of course, okay. you're, you're welcome to stay with us a bit no, more gotta, if you'd like. Head up, but thank you. Yeah, and th- thank you for being here. Yeah, yes. thank you for being here. You're always welcome to join us. Thank you. There is more coming up here, of course, from the Porcupine Freedom Festival because it is only day four. Day, day. I forget because it used to be a five day festival, but now it's a seven day festival. So in my mind, it's like day two because there's still three days left. It's all very confusing. I just want to mention that Jeffrey Tucker is the only person in the world that is a guest host of Free Talk Live, and he can walk up, and he can demand a uh, space on the show. Thanks so much, Jeffrey. It is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live's video archives have been on Library for years. Library is an uncensorable, decentralized, blockchain-based media sharing protocol, and we're big fans of it here on Free Talk Live. In 2020, Library launched Odyssey, a video sharing website to compete with YouTube, and it's really taking off. Now with over 1 million channels, many of whom are disaffected YouTube creators. During YouTube's crackdown for not towing the government line on COVID, the Free Talk Live YouTube channel started receiving strikes and could be completely taken down at any moment. Thankfully, Odyssey started offering live streaming, so we're now streaming live every night and posting our video archives permanently to Odyssey. You can watch live or anytime on our Odyssey channel by visiting video.freetalklive.com. If you want to go all in, download the desktop app at lbry.com, and then every video archive you watch, you'll help seed and keep it online forever. At minimum, we ask you visit video.freetalklive.com and follow us on Odyssey today. Video.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live from the Porcupine Freedom Festival here at the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. And I'm joined now by Mark. We don't generally talk about what's happening in the outside world when we're here at the Porcupine Freedom Festival because usually... There's a lot of people to see and talk to, but I don't know, today has a very weird vibe to it. It's a very relaxed day. There's not as many, there's a lot of people here, but there's not as people, as many people walking around as there has been for the last day or two. It's mostly kids running around at this point. It makes me think that last night was a, a hardcore party. party night. Yeah. And that today is sort of the recovery going into Friday, which will be another big party night and probably Saturday night as well. Well, people leave Sunday, so Saturday night's not usually the party night that Friday is. So I, I tend to think that last night was a hardcore party night. People are recovering today, and tomorrow is on set to be another major party night, because that is that does happen at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. It's a bit windy today as well, but anyway, there is stuff... I'd rather ha- have the wind than uh, the cool weather we had yesterday. It depends uh, for me, I think. Uh, the wind itself can be colder than the cold weather, so uh, I guess it depends. But there is stuff happening outside in the world. Apparently, the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled to expand U.S. gun rights, says Do they understand BBC. the pork fest is going on and the releasing news during this time frame is really... Uh, well, it's the BBC, it's, so I'm assuming they, they don't care. Well, they got the BBC got that story from the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court should understand that Free Talk Live is at Porkfest. Well, the Supreme Court definitely doesn't care about Free Talk Live. I, I would think that the fact that, you know, myself and Ian are still under indictment is proof that the Supreme Court doesn't care about Free Talk Live. Well, let's hope that uh, let's hope we get a case there. I, I don't want to go to the Supreme Court. <laughs> 
The U.S. Supreme Court has struck down a New York law restricting gun-carrying rights in its most important judgment on guns in over a decade. It expands gun rights amid a fierce national debate over the issue. The decision, which jeopardizes similar regulations in states like California and New Jersey, is expected to allow more people to carry guns legally. And because it's the BBC, to them, all of this is foreign. So let me explain. Yeah, right. <laughs> in, in, in the state of New York, and presumably New York City was even worse, but in the state of New York, in order to get a, a concealed carry permit, you had to prove that you, you needed to carry a concealed weapon. It wasn't enough that you're an American citizen. Right. You had to prove that you know there was something happening in your life that warranted carrying a concealed weapon. And now, they obviously hadn't read that shall not be infringed part, but let's point out that there's two ways to interpret the Constitution. Um, now, the 14th Amendment basically made it so the states are supposed to, for whatever reason, supposed to recognize the amendments as their own um, restrictions, too. But, in fact... I'm not entirely clear on the 14th Amendment. We had someone here earlier who was going to talk about his book, yep. how the 14th Amendment ate the other 10, or something, or the first 10, or something to that effect. But we'll we get had, him back on. Yeah, we had sound issues. So, refresh my memory. What What is the 14th Amendment? I don't have it sitting here in front of me, but okay. basically it was during this, uh, you know, post-Civil War, and more or less it's like, you know, hey, all the... Uh, you know, the states have to follow what the feds say because we just beat you in a war, more okay. or less. Okay, I mean, they were right. I mean, might makes right in the in the state apparatus, and they had proved that they had the might at that point. Indeed, they they did win. Um, and, you know, one, one might question exactly, um, you know, what would have happened had it not been for the Civil War. Um, but... The what we do know is that, say, Massachusetts or Maryland had state religions prior to the Civil War, that the First Amendment that says freedom of religion didn't affect Massachusetts and Maryland because it wasn't a restriction on Mass Massachusetts and Maryland. It was a restriction on the federal government. Hold, hold on. I want to make sure. Yep. Massachusetts had a state religion yes. prior to the Civil War. I assume it was like Puritanism. They were Puritans, yep. Okay. What's now Congregationalist. But... And, and how is that? How does the federal government tie into that? Wouldn't the so the federal government has a law that says, uh, or excuse me, uh, the Second Amendment to the Constitution that says shall not be infringed. Uh -huh. And the idea was is the federal government could not a dictate um, a uh, state religion, right? And b could not say um, you know dictate any gun laws. Those were the purview of the state. And but this did not prevent you reasonably states from having it does not infringements. Okay, uh, it, under that interpretation of the Constitution. Now okay. that's my interpretation of the Constitution, but I also understand that the Fourteenth Amendment has changed things, and so you know we need to pick one or the other, but not both. So you, you can't have a situation where states get to pick what they want to uh, obey out of the Constitution if it's the Second Amendment. But you have to have states that have that allow freedom of speech. That's a problem. Do you get it? Got it. Okay. So about a quarter of Americans live in states that could be affected if their own rules are challenged. And there are similar rules in, in California, New Jersey, a bunch of other states. Um, New Hampshire has constitutional concealed carry, which means you don't need a permit. That's true, I think, in Texas as well. I know it's true in Mississippi. Well, Texas um, is an interesting uh, thing to point. You know, never talk to, to a, a person from New Hampshire about Texas because they get pissed off Why? right away. What's that? Why? Why? Because Texas may have constitutional carry, but every one of their businesses has a sign-up that says you're going to prison if you bring a gun in here. 
So they don't have the authority to send you to prison, though. They certainly have the authority to make your life very miserable. And um, well, they. It seems like they would just be able to tell you, hey, no, you can't enter my premises while well, they carrying can a weapon. do that. And what happens if you enter the premises without paying attention to the sign? Well, I mean, these now you violated their some law or another. So, like, you know, that's I'm just saying there's a difference when they when they say constitutional carry, they don't mean the same thing in every place. It okay. differs slightly. The, um, and so I know in, in Mississippi New and New Hampshire, they mean the same thing because right, I've lived you, in both places. You can in New Hampshire, you can carry your gun and um, and it's unlikely that there's going to be a sign on a business saying you can't carry it in. Now, to be honest. I'm not a big fan of the whole tactical uh, holster thing and, you know, walking in looking like you're G.I. Joe or whatever your, your, your shtick is. But Well, maybe a 9mm or something like that. And that, that would be open carrying. I mean, if someone's open concealed carry carrying. Is not my, I'm not a big fan. I mean, I have, okay. uh, I certainly, I can understand open carry of pistols, but I also understand what people's complaint is. But when it comes down to open carry of rifles, I got a problem. You know, when you're talking about out here at Pork Fest, you have an aesthetic problem, though. You, you don't have a problem in the sense that you want a government to tell them they can't. No. You just you, you're like, hey, it's silly. You don't need to open carry that around. You're scaring people too. What's the functional difference between somebody who's coming into a, a place to shoot it up and somebody who's coming in to open carry a rifle? I don't know. I can't sure. look and tell. And we are uh, beasts that understand signaling. Yeah. Right. And so the signaling's the same, and I don't like that. That makes sense. I understand where you're coming from. I'm not sure whether or not I agree. I haven't given it a lot of thought because I just don't see a whole lot of people open carrying rifles in my day-to-day life. No, I don't either. It does happen a lot here at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. And it doesn't bother me here because well, this is a place for it. Yeah, I mean, I would expect that sort of thing here, right? Yep. And I, I'm confident that all of the people open carrying here, none of them are about to go on a shooting spree or something like that. And that's because If they do, the other guys will shoot them. <laughs> exactly. Know? There's so many other people here. And the Porcupine Freedom Festival is going on 20 years at this point, and it's this is number 19, and there has never there's never been a problem. So, you know, no, I think there was an accidental discharge one year. I'm sure there's been an accidental just discharge, but it's it's very rare though. Yeah. And even then no one was hurt. So the the Supreme Court has found that a New York law requiring residents to prove proper cause to carry concealed firearms in public violates the US Constitution. Justice Clarence Thomas, writing on behalf of the six conservative judges, ruled that Americans have a right to carry, quote, commonly used firearms in public for pu- private defense, or for personal defense, excuse me. The three liberal justices, Elena Kagan, Sonia Sotomayor, and Stephen Breyer, dissented, meaning they disagreed with the majority opinion. I, I appreciate the BBC for telling us what it means when someone dissents. <laughs> Amazing that they felt the need to point that out. I'm absolutely stunned. I shouldn't be stunned, considering how stupid the average person really is, but I kind of am. The decision, of course, comes amid deep political divisions over how to address gun violence, which were intensified by high-profile shootings at a primary school in Uvalde, Texas, and a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, last month. I'd be really interested in what um, this dissent sounded like. Like, what do, what do they have to say? Um, because- I'm sure it's available online. There's more coming up here from the Porcupine Freedom Festival, though. You're invited to come down and hang out with us at ForkFest. You can find out more about that at ForkFest.party. We're online in the meantime at freetalklive.com.
It's Free Talk Live from the Porcupine Freedom Festival here at the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. The sun has come back out. It's a bit warmer now. I'm glad I didn't. Get, I got distracted when I went up there to grab my hoodie and ended up doing all manner of other things except grabbing the hoodie. I went up there to get uh, food for my dog, as it happened, as well as to grab my hoodie. I ended up leaving with neither of those things, <laughs> as you might expect. But it is the Porcupine Freedom Festival. It's a great time. You're Make welcome. me feel better because you're significantly younger than I am. So, you know, it's not old age in my case all the time then. Yes, it's definitely not. So do you want liberty in your lifetime? Later this year, Mark is speaking at the Free Private Cities Foundation. I see every time I see Free Cities Foundation, I end up saying Free Private Cities. It's Free Cities Foundation. Their annual conference, Liberty in Our Lifetime, is in the beautiful city of Prague from October 21st through the 23rd. And it showcases autonomous cities and intentional communities that are springing up all around the world, offering opportunities for settlers to live freer lives. The conference theme this year is Parallel Structures for Progress. So they'll be exploring physical developments and parallel structures emerging in education, finance, and others that offer alternatives for people looking for better ways to learn, educate their children, and invest in the future. Get get 20% off on your tickets by using code FTL20 at... I don't actually have the website lifted here. I think it's LifetimeLiberty.com. Yes, there it is. It was just not highlighted. Visit LifetimeLiberty.com and use code FTL20 to get 20% off your tickets. Again, that is in Prague. And I remember when we first started talking about this, people were like, that's such a weird choice. But as it turns out, Prague, um, what is that, Czechoslovakia? Well, formerly. Okay, was it? It, Like Czechia. Okay. Something. But they don't require a proof of vaccination in order to enter. So it's it's not as unusual of a choice as one might think. Yeah, Switzerland was a little difficult to get into, I must say. But that, that was a year ago. That's unfortunate. But we're talking about the Supreme Court ruling. The big news that the Supreme Court has come out and said, New York, you're infringing upon people's Second Amendment rights by requiring them to prove they had need for a concealed carried weapon. They don't need to prove that need to you just existing as an American citizen is good enough, which I like that this ruling is coming out in, in this particular political climate because even people I know from New Hampshire who were born and raised in New Hampshire and have been around guns their entire lives, the, the Uvalde shooting, for whatever reason, it it has made them stop and think, okay, well, no, we, we do have to do something about this. That, that's but the, what? I mean, that's the thing is, is that, you know, there's a whole bunch of proposals on the table that would have had nothing, that would have done nothing for the Uvalde shooting. Well, certainly. And that tends to be the case here. I mean, there's... There's nothing that we can do at this point. The best thing we could do to prevent school shootings is an answer that they don't like, and that's but, to arm the teachers. Well, the, the best uh, – I'm, I'm not against the um, – well, I should say that teachers should be allowed to be armed as opposed to arm the teachers. Well, um, yes. I understand what you mean. I just want to be clear in, in my – but what I really think is is we shouldn't ban the guns. We should ban the schools. The problem is is that it seems that – we put our most valuable assets, Americans love their kids, everybody loves their kids, and we put them all, t- we, we clump them all together in these middle class welfare babysitting day prisons, and we expect everything to go well. It's absolutely ludicrous. Uh, frankly, we should have um, smaller schools. Certainly. And another solution would be to allow the kids to carry their own weapons. And I realize, you know, considering That kids- sounds like a bad idea to me. <laughs> I don't know, man. You know, I, I, I was carrying shotguns and stuff like that when I was five years old. And, and if I had had a gun with me at school at the age of six, I would not have shot anyone or anything like that. But that was the case throughout so much of, you know, American history yep. where people may not carry them into class, but they would go they into school. They usually had to check them in someplace or something, yeah. Okay. 
Well, I know, like, even during my dad's age, he would have a shotgun racked in the back of his truck, and it was never an issue, right? Now, if you tried to do that, though, you, you would get swatted there at the school, even if, you, even if you just forgot to leave it in there when you went hunting. If some teacher or, you know, PE coach or whatever walked by your vehicle and they saw that gun, you are in for a world of trouble at that right. point. So I, I tend to think that arming... Because that's what we do, right? That's what I was trying to explain to this person. When there is a shooting, what do you do? What happens in realistic terms in order to put that shooting to an end? And the answer is always the same. You get someone else there with a gun, yep. and they put an end to it. Right. All right. So let's mitigate that travel time as much as we can. And we can see that can. the cops aren't necessarily the best people to put on the job from the Uvalde situation. I mean, a lot of people feel In deeply... In case people de- needed that demonstrated to them again. Right. The, a lot of people, people feel deeply betrayed by the way the police acted in that circumstance. But that's their training. Their training is to preserve officer safety. It's not to save your kid, and it's, it, it's, not, it, and it's to keep you out. Right, like they yeah. did all the things they were supposed to do, ladies and gentlemen. They didn't violate the rules and for incompetence. They actually followed them. These I know, but are that's the worse. rules. That's worse. I, well, I don't know what worse <laughs> means. You sent your kids there. I don't. Well, I didn't like, send my kids there. Well, that's what I feel like saying to America over and over again. The warnings have been issued. Certainly, government school. Is a bad thing. If any other organization came around and said, "Hey, we're going to give you free school," and you'd be like really skeptical about the idea, you'd be like, "Why does the Catholic Church or why does Walmart want to provide education to my kid? What are they teaching in there?" But well, for tells- some reason, these evil people, these politicians, these liars and thieves—I mean, ladies and gentlemen—you know they're liars and thieves—and you say, "Okay, I'm going to let them put together a school," and surely they. They won't teach my kid horrifying things about American history or whatever. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the Catholic Church, if they were to offer free education, it, you're absolutely and they do. right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I totally understand their reasoning for it. They want to indoctrinate people in the beliefs of Catholicism. Sure. that's the whole, They'll teach you to read in the process, but you're going to learn yeah. their particular version of Christianity. And you, I don't know what sort of corruption or indoctrination Walmart would partake in, but I mean, I'm sure there's something. It would, it would include lower prices every day. Yeah. You could be sure of that. Hardcore consumerism, Keynesianism, where, you know, it's good to spend every last dollar shopping instead of trying to save it or anything like that. That would be Walmart-style indoctrination. The government isn't this benevolent, kind, generous organization that w- just wants to make sure your kids are a little bit more educated than you were. No! They want to indoctrinate your children, and they are indoctrinating your children. And the, the risk of that generally is just that, you know, your taxes are a little bit higher or something like that, except for when reality comes home, reality comes to roost, and you realize, oh, my children are trapped in this prison, this killing field, where it... Evidently, there's no metal detector or anything like that. The kid can just walk in with the gun. This is surprising to me because when I was in school, they they weren't turned into these prisons yet. But shortly after I dropped out, they they moved the school that I attended to to a single building, a single building for I don't know two thousand, three thousand students. It's not a big school. One entrance. 
if they can get it so that they can check you know people coming in with weapons or whatever i don't know how many entrances there were but there was it was fenced in and there was honest to god razor wire at the top of this fence and there's they're sending their kids to this every single day to this prison the single building surrounded by a fence with razor wire at the top of where they cannot escape and if they try to escape they're going to get sliced to ribbons like it, it's absolutely horrifying, and people don't we see a problem with that. We used to be allowed to drive out to go to McDonald's for lunch. We it used was. to be allowed to, and then they stopped because it was uh, it was just too much of a traffic jam. Everybody was going, um, you know, coming and going, and there just wasn't enough time. But there was a time when I was in high school when we were allowed to go. There's more coming up here from the Porcupine Freedom Festival. It is Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live from the Porcupine Freedom Festival here in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. Pork Fest 2022, number 19, or number 20, depending on how you're counting. I tend to think about it as number 20, but it doesn't really matter what year it is. And of course, we're going to be here until July the 3rd. Someone from Free Talk Live will be here until July the 3rd. So come down and hang out with us at Party because you can't get tickets to the Porcupine Freedom Festival if you don't already have them. But you can still come to ForkFest because ForkFest doesn't have tickets. So check it out, ForkFest.party, if you want to join us. We're talking about the latest Supreme Court ruling. And, of course, I'm not much of a gun person. Um, I know about guns. I know how to use guns. But I'm not, like, really into them or anything like that. And, Mark, uh, you've been a felon for a long time. So you're not <laughs> a gun person by definition either. And, you know, so for the last year and a half. You, I can read about them. <laughs> true. For the last and year do. and a half, I haven't even, you know, been in the same room with a gun. So... I've been watching this from a distance. I don't know what the Supreme Court has been up to, but evidently they've ruled that in the state of New York, you do not have to prove a need to carry a concealed weapon in order to, quote, earn a concealed carry permit. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, we're joined now by Matt, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that. So Our, our longtime co-host, Matt. Yes. And heavy gun enthusiast, right? Like, I am a like major guns. raging hardcore gun dude. Yeah, that's accurate. And I'm also from New York State, which is an extremely anti-gun state, and the state by uh, that this particular Supreme Court case is centered around. So I kind of grew up under the draconian uh, restrictions that this uh, recent court case is uh, centered around. So tell me about this recent court case, because I assume you've been following it more closely than I have. Essentially, I've been following it my whole life, because I've lived under that law my whole life. And so to see something like this come up that's directly aimed at New York State is really exciting for me. Uh, so the court case is called the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, or it's really just against the state. Um, Bruin is just the, 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 the chief uh, cop. Okay. In New York, and it started off with some other chief cop's name, and then he lost his position and got a new cop, and now it's they just named it the latest cop. So the so essentially the district attorney is basically is that what it is yeah yet? yeah okay. they, they you know they I think it's actually uh, somebody who's like the lead of the state troopers of New York or something like that, and they okay. double as other political office type things. So either way, um, it, it's a it's a bureaucratic slug of an animal. Uh, whose name they slap at the end of the court case. Regardless, it's really against, not against that person, but against the state of New York. And 
what was what the deal was in New York is uh, depending on where you live, you may also live under certain circumstances like this. I think California is very similar. California um, and New Jersey, according to the article that we yeah, read. There, I think there's actually I think there's like seven other states total that are Jesus. That, yeah, uh, so it, there's a difference between a shall issue state and a may issue state. And that is a declaration against the state from the state if it says shall. And if it says may, it favors the state. So if you apply for a pistol permit or whatever they want to call it in your state, and it's a may issue state, that means they might give you a well, permit. The, per- the presumption is, is that the answer is no. The presumption is that it is no, right? The presumption in a shall issue state is that the answer is yes. Correct. However, I think it's worth uh, pointing out here that we had a, a couple of co-hosts on the show who have uh, who, who attempted to get concealed carry permits in the state of New Hampshire Correct. when it was a shall issue state, and they had their you know they they had a tur- they were turned down mm-hmm. um, for nothing that was particularly legal, just this provision that says you have to be of good moral character. Moral character, right. yeah, and, 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 and I agree. Um, you know, Ian Freeman may not be of good moral character. <laughs> I would disagree with that. No, he's a good guy. But so, uh, but uh, you know, I remember when uh, Derek J was shot down. You yeah, know, and that was super surprising to me, and that was clearly a local political. It was jab, a local political but, thing, know, yeah, but. The local political jabbers who were jabbing Derek J just because it's small town doesn't mean they're not government. They were doing government things against him, yep. you know, it, it abrogating his rights openly. That's how governments and, and work. Brazenly, but and they, but he hired the best, uh, the best New Hampshire gun lawyer out there, and still wasn't able to get it undone. I know, I know, and that was very surprising. So to that's me all too. I want to say as far as uh, you know, shall issue states is, is the presumption is the answer is yes, but that doesn't mean that the answer is yes. Right. It's not what we would call constitutional carry where you have to be able to have it. That's what we have now in New Hampshire. Well, you can have a gun in New Hampshire, but the interesting part is you still uh, uh, if you want to travel with that gun outside of the state of New Hampshire, you probably still want a permit, Right. and we're still all under the same rules where the local uh, police chief can say, you know what, I've heard about you and I don't like you! Yeah. And they can do the same stuff. So okay. it's not like there's perfection in this realm. Okay. At all. So well, in uh, the state of New Hampshire, you don't need a permit to conceal carry. Correct. You can go in New Hampshire, you can buy a gun, you can put it in your coat pocket. And I think that's true in Vermont as well. I, I, I wouldn't give you. I wouldn't give advice in Vermont. Uh, things have changed over there since uh, they got all Bernie Sanders happy. Uh, well, um, but they did, Vermont but still, still has con- Vermont still has constitutional carry. They just have magazine restrictions. Okay, <laughs> these yeah. aren't constitutional magazines, though. <laughs> right. I mean, in general, Vermont. Vermont, they are hippie-ish, right? But they still yeah. like their guns, as far as I can tell. Most of Vermont is not hippie-ish. That is, uh, that is a picture that they show of Burlington people who are mostly uh, generation-old transplants from California. Okay. Basically. There's a ton, ton of, like, the whole hippie movement in the late 60s died, and all of them made a trek to Vermont and planted down and became yuppies and they're There's just obnoxious in, leftists. In Brattleboro too, but Yeah, 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 yeah. Those yeah, are the two places. And you know, Middlebury, there there's some in the cities where there's a university or something like that, Bennington, you're gonna find some of those people for sure. Yeah. But the vast majority of Vermont is they're they're arguably in a way more live for your die culturally than I think New Hampshire natives are. They are very rural and want to stay to themselves, don't want people messing with them and they don't want to mess with others and they very respectful. It may be true, but their government's co-opted. So hard, <laughs> and, and it's a shame. Speaking so, of co-opted, though, U.S. President Joe Biden said he was deeply disappointed by the court decision, which he <laughs> said Biden's handler handler said that he told him to say that he was deeply disappointed. He's still scraping himself up off the ground from his bike ride. 
If he's not scrubbing himself up from that, it's from the little for the appearance he had where he told some little kid the other day, you know, I want to take you home with me or whatever. Oh, God. Dude, he's so crazy. He's got to stop that. He said, it's, he said that it contradicts both common sense and the Constitution and should trouble us all. No, well, what, what I, troubles I mean, me is Biden telling a little girl, I want to take you home with me. <laughs> That's that should troubling. be unconstitutional, too. Specifically that for Joe Biden. That probably is unconstitutional. I want Joe Biden to keep on doing that because I want the world to see that the people of the United States of America will elect a, an open child molester <laughs> to, the, to the highest office in the land so they can all know... Everybody can know how bad judgment the the uh, how, how bad of judgment the United the people of the United States of America can be. I, I think the only way we could top this, I, I didn't think we we're going to be able to top Donald Trump, right? I mean, he he's totally insane. He's off the rails, unpredictable. But no, America's went and found someone even crazier. Yeah, and there's no memes. Well, there there are, but they're they're weirder. Like yeah. you know, the cartoon of him talking about kids stroking his leg hair. Yeah, how did he get? <laughs> He got interrupted by the Easter Bunny at a thing, and they he didn't had even to get interrupted by the Easter Bunny. Yeah, and that didn't even turn into a meme, though. I right? know. You would think of all things. Okay, guys, hold up, back up everything. The the strongest, the most powerful man in the world just got his press interaction interrupted by a freaking Easter Bunny. And no one's really talking about that, except you know us here on Free Talk Live. Let's just let's just have a moment of lucidity here about what okay. we just witnessed. You're, that's, you're, that's a big ask. Yeah, I think we've I think we've gone past lucidity here in the United States. I don't even know about moments. I don't think you can get nope. them. This is why I want the Libertarian Party for its 2024 presidential nominee has to be John McAfee. John McAfee's dead. dead. That's the Perfect. point. How do you top crazy Joe Biden? John McAfee supports this message. John McAfee's an animated corpse. <laughs> so you got to so you got to top that. All right. Well, yeah. nominate a dead guy. That 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 will show the world how truly crazy we actually are. To, and then make that dead person president. Well, yeah. We made a corpse our president. <laughs> That's great. A I would vote for the corpse. Hashtag whacked. How about uh, Flava Flav, you know, from uh, the old NWA? I mean, hey, what's up? What's you up? Know, like, it'd just be just <laughs> vapid nonsense the, the whole time. biggest clock on his chest yeah, that you can I'm imagine. fine with that. I'm not sure that tops Joe Biden getting interrupted by the Easter Bunny, though. As far as nonsense goes, that's up there. But there's more coming up here. We are at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. So if you're here, come down, hang out with us. It is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live from the Porcupine Freedom Festival. And I just said during the last segment that you have decided to come back out. Well, it's gone again because that's what it's like up here at the White Mountains of New Hampshire. It's it's still amazing to me that, you know, like five years ago, I think, was the, was, was it, I don't know, is this the fifth year? This is the fifth year of Forkfest. That's Forkfest.party for those who haven't checked it out. So five years ago, I, I didn't notice during the daytime of June that it was kind of chilly, right? But I've sort of acclimated to the New Hampshire weather, and now I'm like, yeah, you know what? It's it's late June, but it's actually kind of chilly. And you, being a Southern gal, have not melted to this point one time. Not yet, no. 
Or uh, frozen. Th- there were a few times during the winter where I, where I came pretty close. I mean, <laughs> the, the first winter that I was here was the worst by far because as early as November of that year, there was like three feet of snow already on the ground. And what it, year was that, Arya? Uh, 2018, I think. 18, yeah, that was a snowy year. Yeah, and it only got worse from there, right? The only reason I remember it was because I had to replace a fuel pump in my Chrysler, and there was three feet of snow on the ground, and it required <sighs> dropping the tank, and it was, God, absolutely horrifying thing. But honestly, that type of activity right there is good enough for official certification of northernness at that point. Like, you earned <laughs> okay. all of your stripes in one shot by doing that job. Okay, nice. It also dropped down to, you know, zero a lot that that year. It hasn't done that so much, but, you know, it is June, so I would expect it to be, you know, 90, 100 degrees, and it often is here, I think, during the Porcupine Freedom Festival. It usually does hit the 80s or 90s yeah, or 85, something. Yeah, 85, 90, sure. Yeah, I'd be surprised this- up here if it, uh, in, the White, in the White Mountains, if it hit... Uh, 90, but okay. See, that's what I thought. I thought it got hot, but looking at the weather this year, that certainly doesn't seem to be the case. No, it's anyway. supposed to be 80 all week, and it gets down to like 52 at night. ForkFest is going to be even warmer. Find out about it at ForkFest.party, because there are no tickets to that. If you bought a ticket for ForkFest and you got ripped off, so check it out, ForkFest.party. All you need is your RV site, camping site, or motel room with Rogers Campground, or at the cabin or one of the other hotels. I guess you don't have to stay in the hotel at Rogers Campground. Just come hang out. You just, all you got to do is be here. Yep. It's ForkFest.party. Fork like you eat with Fest.party. Because there's been some confusion about that. Like, you have ForkFest, and people think, oh, it's pork, like P-O-R-K. So, no, it's pork. It's short for porcupine. And then you have ForkFest, so, like, so is that... F-O-R-C? It should just be called FTL Fest. I'm not arrogant enough to say that. Why not? But I'm glad you did. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, we're talking about the recent Supreme Court ruling where the United States Supreme Court has ruled that New York is not allowed to tell people that they cannot own, that they cannot, they do not have to prove they need a concealed carry permit in order to acquire a concealed carry permit. Yeah, so before, if you were filling out your pistol permit application, you had to, in order to get a concealed carry permit, they'll give you a pistol permit, but that just lets you keep it at your house. Well, that's you, you need know, a and, permit to have a gun at your house they, in New that York. That was the problem. It was a May issue state, and they might give, like, they could give you a permit, but they might put any number on restri- of restrictions. For instance, one of my friends little brothers the kid's an eagle scout right he's followed every single rule that was ever put in front of him in his entire life straight a student great college he went to get his pistol permit he's been in the military pistol permit time they returned him uh, affirmatively they gave him his pistol permit but under the restriction printed right on the permit that it had to be disassembled and in in a safe in his house at all times disassembled yes why? So here's your pistol permit, and the only time he could assemble it is to take it to a shooting range, and then he would have to go straight back home, disassemble it, put it back in the safe. Put holes in paper. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And it this kid amazing. is, I'm telling you, this guy is as straight and narrow as you as they get. And this is the thing about uh, concealed carry permit um, holders nationwide is, is that they're an incredibly safe group of people. Incredibly. Oh, very safe. And, um, I mean, they're actually safer than cops by 10 uh, times. By, by far. And imagine how infrequently police are arrested versus uh, as, as often as they need arresting because they get, uh, you know, sort of a dispensation by their brethren. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, um, and 
they're a hundred times safer. Uh, that is, concealed carry permits holders are a hundred si- times safer than your average member of the public. Oh yeah, and that's that, that's not just true on paper. That's true in real life too. I can tell you, I used to go shooting every Tuesday night. That was my personal range night. And uh, at some point, some off-duty cops started bringing their buddies to the range on that Tuesday night. And it was a, a, a very quiet range. It was a key place where you just let yourself in with a combination, if yep. you remember. And it was flat-out dangerous to be around those wing nuts. You got, <laughs> you got three cops. And that I explained this to a lady online the other day who's like, only the police should have guns. They're the only ones safe enough to have this guns. This is I'm the like, same lady that wanted to defund the police a year ago. Yeah, basically. I mean, plus, don't forget the NYPD when they went to this Apple store a, number, a, few, a few number of years ago. I mean, they, they, sh- they unloaded like 100 and something bullets and didn't hit a single yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, they, they may know technically how to shoot a gun, but they're not expert marksmen. They're not, and and it's more it, it's more than that though. There's a there's a deeper story than that because what I explained to this lady is like, a most people who own guns are legacy gun owners. Their dad had guns. Mm-hmm. Their grandfather had guns. They're all hunters. Some of them were you know, all military and stuff like that. Guns are a part of their DNA. Yeah. They were raised, preached at. And steeped in the rules of firearms handling and marksmanship. Yep. Cops aren't all that. Not all. Some cops are that too, but not sure. all cops are. Many, many, many cops, the first time they ever touch a gun in their entire lives or even come near one in real life is at police academy. And when they get out, there's taboo and there's, it's like, uh, you know, it's kind They're of a excited. perverse They're, feeling they have right. about it. And it's, mm, and they don't have, they were not preached at eight years old. Don't point that there. You know, right. nobody ever told them that. I mean, that's, and that's the first thing I ever learned as a kid before anyone ever handed me a gun. I was never, ever, ever point this end at anyone. Right. Yeah. Even if you know for a fact it's unloaded. Yep. And these yahoos that showed up on Tuesday nights at my range, I had to stop going Tuesday nights. I would get flagged 10 times. I would yell at them. I would yell down the lane, hey, you just flagged me again. Are you going to keep doing that? Because I, I have to leave if you're going to do that. Sorry, sorry. We don't. Didn't even see. Didn't even notice ourselves doing it, man. Just sorry. This is terminology. I don't know. I guess because I don't frequent flags. Fire. When you accidentally point your gun at somebody and okay. you weren't watching or paying attention, you're just waving it around like an idiot. Right. Okay. A barrel. Uh, you know, you just swing their barrel in front of people. Right. Yeah. You don't have to have your finger in the trigger for that. Right. Well, no, I don't. I don't care if their finger. If someone points a gun at me, it doesn't matter to me if their Understood. finger is on the trigger or yeah. not. Right. So I, I did. I did have to stop going. Movement before I'm dead. Right. So, so wow. But the. Uh, Back to the, 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 the main, the main uh, point of uh, discussion here, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Station v. Bruin uh, Supreme Court case. Uh, New York State and uh, all the other states who were May issue now are basically being forced to be shall issue, which is a very, very nice step in the right direction. And Apparently that covers about 40% of people in the United States. They're under mm-hmm. these May issue yeah. states. Yeah, because yeah. most of the May issue states are pretty heavily populated states, too. So. Okay, yeah, California's yep. a big one, yep. certainly. Yep. Yeah. Most people don't care enough to live in a state with, uh, you know, better Shall gun issue. laws. Yeah. They just don't care enough. For uh, me, it's... It's a very important to you. It's the reason I left New York when I did. I didn't want to leave New York for the Free State Project until 2015. But then Sandy, that was my plan, 2015. But then Sandy Hook happened in Connecticut. And somehow by magic, New York State had a pile of legislation ready to go the next day. Amazing. And all kinds of guns. So I was like, and they basically turned me into a felon worth about 500 years in prison overnight. 
I had, you know, they, they turned magazines into assault weapons, and I had kitty litter buckets stuffed full of magazines. <laughs> and I'm not registering them, and I'm not turning them in, and I'm not destroying them. So my choice was, I think I had to move up my move to New Hampshire date, and I did, and I was able to get out in about six months and get here. So, Very cool. Uh, Apparently more than 390 million guns are owned by civilians in the United States. I think we that's, need a, to get I think that that's an up. old statistic. Yeah, I don't think that. <laughs> people who write see. this stuff just don't have any idea. No. I'd say that it's probably safe to say there are at least two guns per person in the United States. Yeah. I, ho- I hope so, because I don't like that number. 390 million, that's that's barely one gun per citizen. I, I honestly think that Obama pushed it up to that number, and we are way past Obama at this point. I certainly tend to think so. But they also point out more than 45,000 Americans have died from firearms-related injuries, including homicides and suicides. And How many once you more include suicides, your statistics no longer matter. That's right. not Suicide gun violence means at that, that point. the gun was successful. Right. You know, you if you point a gun at yourself, pull the trigger, and it kills you, then... It did what it was supposed to do. Congratulations, it's a tool for a job. Yep. And I'm of the mind that suicide should be permitted, right? If this person, if someone is going to kill themselves, I don't want them to drink bleach and then end up throwing themselves out of a seven-story window right. because the pain is intolerable. I want them to have a, the quickest, easiest, most efficient method possible. Mm-hmm. And that's usually going to be a gun. Well, let's do it out in the woods, shall we? Incidentally, men tend to use guns, and that's why men have a much higher success rate at suicide than women. Right. What was your Let's go out in the woods and do that instead of or in your put, family. Or oh, wear yeah. a bucket. Definitely. Or something. Something. There's more coming up here, though. It is Free Talk Live. They can't be. I imagine most people who wanted to conceal carry got the hell out of New York a long time ago. <laughs> No, there's a lot of people left behind. They can't leave for whatever reason, and they're just kind of hosed, and that's where they are at, and they've become accustomed to that. I think there's going to be a lot of happy people. I think there's going to be a lot of new applications. I think there'll be a lot of applications just to rub it in the face of the state. There's also a lot of people in upstate New York who just don't have the money to leave. That's it's become a very depressed area. It was, it's it's part of the, distinctly part of the Rust Belt. Very and, bad. Um, they don't feel like they've got the money to leave. I would disagree. They're, you know, you can be poor there. You can be poor elsewhere. And f- and by the way, heat costs a lot more than air conditioning. So Thursday's decision from the top U.S. court continued a steady pattern of rulings that have expanded gun rights, holding that the right to carry firearms both at home and in public is guaranteed by the Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. I can only imagine how these poor Brits at BBC are dealing with this news, <laughs> They're right? falling apart at the seams. Oh, my God. Yeah, they, they have to be losing their minds. Oh, we thought they were... How could they be doing this? Uvalde just happened, and now they're expanding gun rights? Yeah, well, what about the Canadians? The, you know, Justin Trudeau just handed down a bunch of uh, diktats about handgun ownership and things like that. So now we're just like, no, in fact, New York... Uh, yeah, we're going to neuter you a little now. Well, Everybody go buy guns. I think we can expect more and more expansion of gun rights in the United States. Well, I want to talk about that a little bit, too. What's it going to look like, Matt? That's what this, my question is, is because, I mean, you know, you're a big gun fan, but you admit that they kill people. Is it going to go? Guns don't I, kill I hope, people. I hope people guns kill people. people. That's what they're for. I mean, that's a necessary tool. This is, you know... I'd like to point out to people a lot that this whole civilization thing is an anomaly. This is <laughs> this is not the norm throughout the history of the earth. It's a rough place. 
So it's important to be able to have, you know, the proper protection. And I don't want to point something at somebody if I have to kill them to protect myself and have it not do its job. I'm glad guns kill people. I'm really, thank God that 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 tool exists. I don't like the terminology because guns in and of themselves, as you all know, they they don't kill people. Guns are a great tool for for getting that job done. So I don't have to do it with a sword. But people kill people. Right. People kill people. And, and they have long before guns came around. And they will Certainly. long after guns get replaced by better technology. And they do in the BBC as well, which is what I don't get. They, they have more vehicular homicides there as a result. They have more knife homicides. and It's just absolutely insane. You can't get rid of the... Humans are violent creatures. Not every human is violent. But, I mean, our universe encourages animals to be violent, right? On the and, same day as Sandy Hook when uh, in 2012, when that happened and they went all gun banning and were very successful, in, especially in New York State, um, a, a young man walked into a, an elementary school in mainland China and did the exact same job. I think he killed 24 kids with a knife I, the exact same day. I don't want to be murdered, but if I had to choose, I would rather be shot to death than stabbed to death. Oh, I think I agree with that. I would agree with that uh, particular statement. However, um, I would say this, it's pr- worth pointing out, is more people are stabbed to death in the United States than they are shot with an automatic rifle. So, Matt, you mentioned a lot on the show that there's a certain uh, circuit court that is very friendly to gun rights, like yeah, the, one of the, these district courts. Oddly, the, the Ninth Circuit over That's the it. last few years, there's one big shot Fed judge out there who's been surprisingly really, really... Um, uh, a, a stick in the mud when it comes to the Second Amendment, and I mean that in a good way. And it's been very surprising. Uh, some of his things, some of his decisions, even been turned over uh, through the en banc uh, uh, court process, where they didn't like his final decision, so they turned it over to a bank of judges, I think, out of Seattle or something like that. They gather and they all make a a big shot decision that's bigger than his big shot decision. But, it's very confusing the way this this whole thing works. It really is. It really, really is. But to, to stick with the, the Supreme Court, this new New York State Rifle and Pistol Association uh, decision is not the end of the road by any means. There are the, the Supreme Court has uh, certified a few other cases that are Second Amendment in nature that are waiting in the wings, and they basically appear to be hearing them in a specific order, which is the best order, so that uh, as many gun laws that exist on the books can get overturned as possible. And uh, we are going to be looking at uh, things like taking a, a closer look at the NFA, taking a closer look, closer at, look what at what the, the po- what the NFA, the National Firearms Act. Okay, so that's why- from what year. 1934. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So that says you can't own, you know, machine guns yep. and silencers and stuff without paying a special fee to the government. You need to pay a $200 tax in order to have the, you know, like I own a silencer. So now I had to pay $200 for it. I had to, I paid a thousand dollars for the silencer. I paid another $200 to the government just to have them give me a, a, a stamp, literally a postage stamp. It's a sticky stamp because it's a tax. They have to give you something in return for that, I guess. So they give you this stamped piece of paper. Now, everywhere I go with that silencer, I have to take that 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 three page document with the stamp on it, with my picture on it, with me. Hmm. And if I get pulled over by a cop with a suppressor on my gun, and I don't have my tax stamp with me. He could take me to jail. 
That's insane. Well, like you mentioned, it's a tax habit. If there's one thing the state loves, it's revenue, and it's going to do everything uh-huh. it can to enforce that revenue. And, you know, ultimately, arresting you for not having that stamp with you is just additional yeah, revenue. And, and, and if you want to look at it in a, in a different way, that $200 tax stamp, the reason it existed in the first place, I want you to think about how much $200 was worth in 1934. It was worth two hundred. That it was even two hundred dollars back then. Yes. Wow. They the the purpose of the NFA was to prevent people. It's probably from being something able to, close to twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So you simply couldn't afford a good gun. You couldn't afford a defensive firearm because of the that. The nice thing about suppressors is that they make it so that you don't have you don't lose your hearing while yeah. when you're shooting. So I mean, even if you are wearing um, you know protection over your ears, a suppressor is helpful in that way. Yeah, it's far less bothersome to the neighbors yep. and things like that. You know, um, it's great. Uh, suppressors are are a great thing. And um, so, but now they're going to be taking closer looks at things like the NFA, and they're going to be taking, uh, most importantly, it, like the thing that I'm in love with now after my uh, my Crypto Six raid experience, um, and they're bringing inexplicable bringing of an ATF agent, which there's nothing in the warrant about ATF things, but he decided to come along and search stuff anyway. Um, that guy, I hope you're listening, dirtbag. Um, the, these new cases being heard by the Supreme Court, one of them is going to take a very, very close look at how much a federal agency can start bending definitions around its whims. I'm so. curious about, um, I mean, you know, just the ATF, an agency using a um, using a, a search warrant to just go ahead and look in somebody's house. Yeah, just help themselves. Right. And, um, you know, they're not one of the agencies that's listed on this. They didn't nope. get a warrant specifically, Correct. you know, dec- addict- you know, talking about you and your room and these sorts of things. And um, they went and looked anyway and, and, and tried they, to find anything. And that it you was beyond a look. I'll tell you that. It was yeah, they were trying to put you in prison. Down. They, yeah, he was absolutely trying to put me in prison. They, like they first they look everything that you've got find nothing illegal. Then they start asking you questions to see if you say something. To try to hang yourself with. Right, to, yeah. that, that makes it sound illegal or whatever. I um, had a ball with him, though, man. I was insulting that guy really hard in really painful ways, and I know it hit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. In, front of, in front of his in, friends. This guy lived in New Hampshire, like, didn't he? What, wasn't this the guy who moved here from somewhere else, and then he you know, brought this crap to New no, Hampshire? No, no, that was the IRS guy. Oh, okay. I buried him, too. It was hilarious, and he felt bad. He was the nicest one of the bunch. He was just the, he was like a nerdy accountant guy without, you know. He just made a bad career decision, I think. The nicest. Especially a bad guy. To, to be clear, the nicest of a group of sociopaths that kicked in our doors and, you know, ran a tank into the, stu- the, yeah. uh, the, the building that had a studio, the door yeah. of the building that had our studio in it. You know, I tend I to keep- think that holding us at gunpoint trumps the property damage, though. Like, on the scale of things that sucks, but, you know, having the have guns pointed at you. That, I mean, tank shows a great deal of preparation. Any yeah. any jackhole can get a rifle and hold it on, uh, you know, drag naked women out of their beds right. and uh, tell them to lay on the floor. But it takes a real super duper well government backed jackhole. Oh, they had these guys tank. had each one of these guys had binocular night vision. I mean, we're oh, talking ten thousand dollar night vision on every one of their thousand dollar helmets. Yeah, a full they radio. Didn't pay for any of this stuff. No, no. No, the only thing I was surprised they were using green tubes instead of white tubes, which means they're about a thousand dollars cheaper than the white tubes. But mm. I don't know what that means. But I know it wasn't a pleasant experience, <laughs> right? Not something I would want to no, have it sucked. happen again. You know, it's funny because when I when I was uh, when she was saying, you know, the the lead investigator, we we got in a little conversation, and you know, the F- FBI lady, the redhead, one I can't remember her name is, but uh, she was a total sociopath. You could see it in her eyes. Um, was that the one that let the dog loose in the neighborhood? Definitely, definitely, that was what she would do. 
But uh, she, I, I was saying, you know, well, you know, I, you guys raided, you, you know, you guys tore into my house at six o'clock in the morning. She goes, we didn't do that. And she was technically right because it wasn't her and her current band of homies. It was a leading spear tip force that had left. There is more coming up here from the Porcupine Freedom Festival. Join us online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. It's Free Talk Live from the Pokemon Freedom Festival here on site in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire at Rogers Campground. And I want to say thank you to Dennis W., who is tonight's amplifier. This means that Dennis is a member of the AMPS program. You can find that at amps.freetalklive.com. That's amps.freetalklive.com. Dennis is a platinum member, which means that Dennis is giving at least $25 per month to the AMPS program. Of course, we don't ask that. All it takes to get in is $5 per month. That gets you access to a number of cool little features like an app-only podcast. There's an app-only Facebook group and some other stuff. But really, the reason you should join is because you value the ideas of liberty being on close to 200 radio stations throughout the United States. And you want to help us reach a larger audience. The AMPS program is the best way to do it. Thank you so much for your contributions, Dennis. So with you today, it's been Aria. And Mark. And we're joined now by... Richard Grove. Thank you, Richard. And now, um, Richard, you've been, uh, you're a longtime fixture here at uh, Porkfest, and I know that uh, you did a lot of uh, work with uh, John Taylor Gatto in the past, but this time you've got, another, you've got another project called Autonomous, and I'm curious as to what you're doing. Yeah, so Autonomy is, uh, well, what you see here at Porkfest... Yeah, right on. Yeah. What you see here at Porkfest is uh, we got a speaker's tent, and we've also got a restaurant... And the restaurant, we didn't mean to be a restaurant. We weren't trying to vend, but um, we had three dozen autonomy graduates that were coming, and we wanted to have food for ourselves. And as soon as we started setting up in true pork fest style, people started asking, "When are you guys open? How much are you charging?" Right. So then we're like, "It's entrepreneur school. Let's learn how to just make offers and uh, have inventory." And everyone who staffs it's a graduate of the course. So it's good, you know, hands-on, in real life. They've met each other online over a series of months. Usually one time a year we get together in person, in real life. And uh, it's an exuberant, exhilarating, invigorating experience. And then behind that is uh, they all went through a training course that I offer twice a year called Autonomy. And it runs for 12 weeks, uh, spring and fall. And essentially what I learned from John Taylor Gatto was... The who, what, where, when, why, and how of how education got corrupted into schooling, which presents a problem, but I hadn't seen anyone solve the problem of putting back into the education what they took out in, in order to make it schooling. So first off, uh, if you don't have free will and informed consent, it's schooling. It's not education. Okay. Education is a process of asking questions, finding substantial answers. Schooling is about indoctrination so that you remember declarative sentences on a test. Right. So you can be an independent, uh, so you're like an interchangeable cog in a system, but you have to go only apply those skills to the corporate system. They don't really help you stand on your own in life, right? So what we do in the first couple weeks is we unindoctrinate people from the learned helplessness, the scarcity mentality, all these other things, these limiting aspects, and then we empower them with high-value business skills, uh, entrepreneur skills, and also how to learn anything, how to think clearly, and how to express yourself through rhetoric. Yeah, so it was just, uh, I can't remember, it was a couple few weeks ago, and for some reason, the idea of helping verbs came up, and I just realized that 
not, not only did, that I was was I indoctrinated, right? Like I, I can, you know, like you said, this cog in the wheel. I can name them off. Amazar yeah. was word being been whatever they are. Um, these helping verbs and um, how shall will may might must can. Sorry, they're just going through my head right now, and. The but but that they don't even teach that anymore, right? Right, like I you know I have a good friend of mine who's a uh, got his master's from Stanford, mm-hmm. and he had no idea what a helping verb was, let right. alone being able to name any. Right. So, not I, I guess not only has uh, was it indoctrination, but the indoctrination has shifted now. Well, the indoctrination shifted, and it's taken a long time to do it. But essentially, when someone gets a master's or a PhD, they're getting a very finite education that sure. has to be redundant and approved by those above them, and so you have these people with PhDs, but it leaves all this other space unexplored and it's outside of their realm. So they're all like specialists who are stovepiped, but they really don't, they don't have the general skills of reality. So, um, we start with that, which exists. We learn how to attach words to that. We learn how to identify contradictions and think clearly to a conclusion, a judgment an action, a decision that is going to give you the results you expect when you take them instead of always saying, why did that go wrong? Is it just me? And all these things. And then you start having a negative self-talk where, oh, maybe I'm just not right for this or I'm not cut out for this or I can't do this. And that's where people start subverting themselves. So if we can kind of stop and trip that breaker that stops people from subverting themselves and quitting on themselves. And then they can get into a pattern of, Oh, it it just takes a little time. And I have to go through the ambiguity and awkwardness anytime I learn something new. But if I do that, I can achieve a result and then they become goal oriented and they can progress and gain momentum forward on their own. That's why we call it autonomy. So I'm curious, um, what what you're talking about is critical thinking skills, I think Mm -hmm. is what we used to call it at one point. And, I, this was a, a question I was having right here at Porkfest, uh, yeah. you know, as I was asking some people, is is the reason they stopped, if they ever did, teach critical thinking, teaching critical thinking skills because you can only teach them to people of a certain level of intelligence? Yeah. Or is it um, like... I mean, like, I, I guess every time I think of critical thinking, I think of intelligence, mm. right? So they seem to go hand in hand um, together, but that may not be true. Maybe there's just a, a class of the populace that you can't teach critical thinking skills to, and that's why they went with schooling, because at the very least, you get the results. Yeah, I mean, that would be giving them, I think, too much benefit of the doubt. From what I've seen, anyone is equally capable of learning how to learn anything and being kind of set free with that process. Some people who we call intelligent might just innately do these types of methods internally, but the method is something you can pass off through teaching and people can understand. It's like uh, there's the individual parts, how they fit together, and then how to use and troubleshoot anything. And then once you know how to do that, you can approach unknowns, whether it's fixing your car, fixing your RV, fixing something in your house, or fixing financials, right? It's all the same thing. Thing. You need to get the general information, what are the individual parts in this, okay. and then gather together, and that's where you apply your logic, and then you would identify contradictions or seeming contradictions, and then you would be able to reconcile and say, that's bad information, and here's, we're going to take this out, and here's a reference for that, and now we're left with something we can make a judgment or conclusion on, and then that's what entrepreneurs are doing every day. They're taking risks and making judgments and taking uh, offers to the market. It allows us to rapidly go through the learning process, experience the failures that we need to get to success. One of the things schooling teaches us is that it's, you should be fearful of failure. You'll get ridiculed, right. all these things. 
And then people stay in this kind of neutral modality where they're waiting to see what other people are doing instead of stepping up and being leaders, which is what the world needs right now. They need more leadership skills. And that's uh, that's more of, of an advanced layer. But first, you have to learn how to think and how to speak and how to communicate your needs clearly without uh, initiating violence on other people. And then you can be mobile. And once you're strong enough to be on your own, it's like it's not about being on your own so much as like, you're strong enough to take care of yourself and therefore you can also provide service and value to other people. And that's where the synergy of the community kicks in where you've got a whole bunch of people with a culture of excellence, trying to get things done and moving forward. So, um, it's kind of like Mrs. Drizzle from the, uh, magic school bus, right? Like let's make some mistakes. Let's, uh, let's get messy. You're you're going to have to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's exactly right. And I think that, you know, I mean, it's one thing that school doesn't teach kids is how to make mistakes and we that's how you learn and one of the ways to learn right you can learn a variety of ways other people's mistakes is my favorite way (laughs) i like those better yeah 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 and then the other thing that we do for the students is uh we don't just have the curriculum and the community but we also have integration exercises so like in week three the students we we want them to get to know each other so we do this let's talk about it just one second sorry richard yeah, there's more coming up here from the Porcupine Freedom Festival here at Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. And you can find out more about what we're going to be doing next week at Party if you want to. That's Party. There's more coming up. It is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live from the Porcupine Freedom Festival here in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. Day three, day four. I'm not entirely sure anymore which because we go back and forth with these segments. I'm pretty sure it's day four. It's Thursday at the very least. So you sitting there with your calculator and your time and your calendar, you can tell me what day it is on our social media server at social.freetalklive.com because I'm here at Rogers Campground and it doesn't really... As long as I'm back in, you know, keen by like June, July the 12th, then it doesn't really matter to me what day it is. There's like a week there where I can just sort of wander back into town of my own volition and everything will be fine. No one, no obligations will have gone unmet. I'm glad that your probation (laughs) officer is so much nicer than Ian's. Well, I'm not under house arrest. Uh, Is he under house arrest? He was. You're correct. He's. He's currently got a curfew. I don't have a curfew. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know why the bill they just dislike him more. are so different. I, I, I don't know. Don't ask me to explain the logic behind the government's actions. And I shan't. Because I, I don't understand why they did what they did. I don't understand any of it. But yes, um, as long as I'm in New Hampshire, everything's pretty much okay. My my handler would prefer me to tell her, you know, that I'm not going to be in a given place at a given time, and I have no issue doing that. But yes, I, I as long as I wander back home at some point in the near future, everything will be fine. But we're joined now by Richard Grove, Al- Richard Grove of Autonomy. Thank you. I was just going to pull it back up again because I, I had to miss out on most of that segment because my dog managed to wander to the tent next door and tangle herself up, which caused her to be not not a aggressive and hostile but not as friendly as she should have been so i untangled her and then she immediately got her tail tangled again because she's a dog they're kind of stupid in this way 
Then immediately, I unhooked her to fix that, and she runs off to go say hello to this other dog. It was just a complete fiasco, and I'm glad you were able to carry on doing the show, Mark. So I like to consider myself a professional. <laughs> I try to avoid such levels because then I feel bad if I do something stupid like forget to change the audio input for an hour and a half this morning. If like, I know? raised, I raised there, a done family yeah. on this uh, on this show. I, I'm, yeah. I'm happy to call myself a professional broadcaster. So we're talking about autonomy here and your method of instilling people with the tools they need to actually succeed and be autonomous in life because the, the American education system, that's not what it's about. It's not intended to that. It's intended to turn people into nice little worker bees to work for these corporations and other other like fast food chains and stuff like that. To, be, to exist within a service economy where everything is service but nothing is actually created or produced, which means you can't be autonomous because you have to be pulling in things from another place. You're not producing anything you're just servicing something that already exists. Autonomy would require people to be producing as well, and there isn't a whole lot of that in the United States. Not just on a, on a national level with closing of factories and stuff like that, just the average person isn't producing anything of their own. They're just consuming and servicing what is already there when it breaks down. Yeah, traditionally, there were always problems, and we have problems today. And the difference is back then, people tried to solve the problems with entrepreneurism. Hey, there's a problem. There's also a solution. That means you have a, you know, some sort of productivity going to the market, and it's a convection current. But these days, people have learned helplessness. So they have a good idea, but they don't know how to go out and progress it, or they're too scared to try and fail. And so we try to like uninstill them from that uh, during the course, and we do that through these integration exercises. So the first one we teach is how to do an interview. And I tell the students, like a go job interview. Well, just like how to meet another person, okay. really. So I give them a format and say, go meet at least ten other students this week, and you know, in, you do a half hour each, and then you flip sides, so they get to know each other equally, which is a lot more substantial than probably any of the relationships we started in school or at work, because you, you know you're going through a format where you're learning about the person's background and why did they come to autonomy, what are they hoping to get from it. Then they can self-support because they identify their goals during that process too, and then from that. If you add on another paragraph or another uh, piece of the conversation for a few minutes, uh, you've got a problem. We've thought, a better, uh, thought of a better way to progress it. Let's meet next week and do something. Now that's a close. That's a sales rate. So I teach sales as the art of problem solving. So it's not about pushing, persuading, convincing, or conniving. It's about only working with people who have a, a problem. And if you can help them solve that problem, then you're doing business. If not, you're making a referral to help them solve their problem. And it's a service you do for someone, not something you do to someone. So once the students get that, they're like, oh, this is so simple. Why didn't I know this? And I'm like, because they try to keep these arts of communication and problem solving to themselves, to the corporations. You want sales training? You're not going to get it in the university. And if, they, if you did, you would get the corporate version, which is like, here's how we move empty, hollow products to a market for you know conspicuous consumption. Or they'll just uh, there's tell you no the way the mic isn't picking up that yelling and screaming back there well, that's i have good. no idea We're what's going festival. on but good for them thousands of people. just reminding people that we are on site at a live festival yes with thousands but, of people <laughs> yes but this felt this felt this fear of failure thing i want to talk about that because yeah. that, that fascinates me how does one fear of failure Every, i've had some really bad ideas in my time right sure. but the only way i know they're bad ideas was because i tried them and they failed spectacularly and i was like okay Let's refine that and try it in a less stupid way. Right. The fear of failure is also the fear of success. It's the fear of taking yes. any risks whatsoever. 
Right. An entrepreneur means one who takes risks. So it's not a frivolous, unplanned risk, but it's it's taking actions and being willing to deal with successes and failures. And one of the ways I help the students overcome that, you know, fear of like going out and making their offer to the market is I tell them, don't try to sell your offer. Try to go get 10 no's this week. I want you to go get, whether you're knocking or emailing, go get 10 people to say no to your offer because you're going to find out the top three objections and the next time you try it, you're going to be more prepared and you're probably going to get yes two out of the 10 times. So they come back and they're like, I I was trying to fail, but I succeeded. And then I'm like, how powerful is that? Because this is what you need to move forward. Right. And that's what it's all about. And absolutely. The um, uh, the objections are the most valuable thing you can get from somebody. Well, it's mostly I don't have the time. I don't have the money and uh, insert a unique one about the product. It's too big. It's too small. I don't like the color. Right. But those are the basic ones. And if your marketing department can come together and it's a legit solution, you should be able to at least address that to the next level. We have a payment plan, or twice a year we put it on sale. Join the mailing list. All these sort of things that you can do. But we, if I can help you, if I can help you overcome your excuses and get around your objections and obstacles, all you're left with is success. Indeed, I think that uh, sales training is is invaluable for people who, um, you know, may not even intend to do sales in their life. It's just a part of life is we're always selling as humans. Um, we've got something we, we believe in strongly and we want other people to believe in it too. Right. So um, while I was going to college to get a business degree, I got I was working side jobs to pay for school. And then I bought into a franchise that did house painting during the summer. Mm-hmm. It's like student painters. And I invested five grand and it was in that training system that taught me sales, marketing, hiring, firing, all the things of how to run a business. And they just used house painting as the metaphor because... Um, Students are off for three months during the summer. What business could they run? And the, it, this guy was like a ex-VP of sales for North America for Xerox, but they couldn't find qualified salespeople. So he saw the opportunity, created this 50,000 student company and um, you know, painters, uh, managers, regional managers, various levels. And it was the most professional system of interviewing I've ever gone through. But I took those skills into the corporate world to sell enterprise software. So there, like you could work with, like somebody could ask me, hey, uh, you could say, hey, I like what you're doing at work. You guys make a lot of money selling software. Can you teach me how to do that? I'm like, yeah, it takes about two weeks, right? But other people go back to school for four years and dump $100,000 trying to get to that next level. And the secret is, there's not really a secret, but if you figure out how to do that thing, companies, that, that's where all the payroll comes from is salespeople, right? right? And Absolutely. there's no they training system other than like a Grant Cardone, which is very, very pushy. How do people find out more about autonomy? Well, I brought something free for your audience today, specifically for the LRN.FM audience. You can go to getautonomy.info forward slash freedom vault all one word freedom vault and there's a whole bunch of uh uh content there's a little autonomy sampler but there's john taylor gatto ultimate history lesson there's grand theft world podcast we shoved it full of a whole bunch of liberty individual pieces so one time that's get autonomy.com dot info get autonomy.info slash freedom vault Freedom Vault. GetAutonomy.info slash Freedom Vault. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you guys for the invitation. There is, of course, more coming up here because we are here all week at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. So come down if you're here and hang out with us. There's more coming up here today. It is Free Talk Live.
is Free Talk Live, day four of the Porcupine Freedom Festival here. An overcast, kind of cloudy day. It, it's been surprising this year to see so many different events going on, not down there in the bowl. You know, last year it was a fair thing to say that the Porcupine Freedom Festival was this thing that happened down, hill, down, down at the bottom of the hill. This year, though, it, it really doesn't feel that way. Like last year we were saying that Fork Fest is... Forkfest is all of it, right? And the Porcupine Freedom Festival is down there. But this year, it's, it's got a very different vibe. Like, to the left of us, just earlier today, there was a discussion between Jeremy Kaufman of Library.io, I think is their website, the Library Foundation at the very least, and someone else. And to the right of us, there were, there were different speeches going on. And we're sort of sandwiched between them attempting to do a show. And it's, it's so difficult because I want to go and listen to these people because, you know, I've been hearing them, you know, my entire life or at least for the last decade or so, like Jeremy Coffin. But then at the bottom of the hill, you do have additional events going on. I remember when I first came to the Porcupine Freedom Festival, they were using the Whova app. I believe it was the first year in which they used the Whova app. And it was everything that was on the list there was in one of the three tents, right? I, I don't know what the three tents were called, but there was the main pavilion. There were two others, and almost all of it was in the main pavilion. There, the others were just sort of hit and miss throughout the day. But this year, there, there's even a, like, Mikey, uh, the snack, snack Mikey, I, I don't know what his last name is, but he always sells snacks here at the Porcupine Freedom Festival, and he argues with people incessantly online, like most libertarians do, just <laughs> constantly arguing with people. He seems singular um, in, in his uh, pursuits. He, he does. I mean, there's no doubt about that, but... There's actually a booth here that he has set up where you can argue with him in person. <laughs> it's like Monty Python. And that's on the actual Porcupine Freedom Festival schedule. The thing that was just going on here with uh, Jeremy Coffin. And the, this the, isn't arguing. You're just disagreeing with me. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, I don't know. M- Mikey and his arguments. I want. No, no I, I, I have no idea what Mikey's doing. I'm just remembering the Monty Python get, skit. I want to get Chris Wade and Mikey to just sit down and argue with each other because <laughs> they would. Like I, the only people I've met more inclined to argue with people than Mikey is Chris Wade. And the only person I've ever met who's more likely to argue with people than Chris Wade is Mikey. No, he's not. <laughs> Is that you attempting to argue with me? I'm okay. just arguing, well, just being disagreeable. You, you don't argue with people nearly to the extent that either one of these no, do. No, but, I don't. But there is an actual I, I've event. I've given up on that to some extent, I must say. I have as well. Uh, I follow this this group called the Breaking Bread, Breaking Bread Village. I discovered that when I ran for sheriff, they wanted to interview me. And it, it was really cool. It's all about listening to people who have different opinions for you. And we find that very, very difficult to do. I find it very, very difficult to do. When someone talks and they say their opinion and I think they're wrong, the average person, they just sort of stop listening or they start interrupting and they say, this is why your opinion is wrong. And that's not dialogue. That's not conversation. That's not learning anything. If that's your reaction to someone saying something, you're never going to learn whether or not you're actually wrong. You've Agreed. made up your mind at that point. So the idea behind the Breaking Bread, breaking bread Village is that it teaches communication and listening more than anything else. You, you don't go on the show to be persuaded. You go on there to hear something you may not have heard before. Cool. I like and the idea. I wish libertarians were bigger fans of that idea. A few years ago, there was some college student who was trying to do some sort of, some sort of thing for her professor here. And 
as, as a result of that, she was going around asking libertarians here, here at Rogers Campground what their opinions were on, on like five simple questions. There were just five of these. And I felt so bad for the girl for not understanding what she was actually getting into. You never, ever, ever go up to a libertarian and ask them their opinion about the president or the economy or yeah. school, public schools or whatever, unless you're prepared to listen to an hour-long answer. Right. Well, this is one of the difficulties of anybody who's uh, doing these, these phone polling or anything like this is, you know, like, I don't fit into your boxes, you know, I don't have sure. answers that are uh, clearly fit into any of your boxes because your boxes were intended to find out whether I'm going to vote for Trump or Biden. And I'm not voting for either of them because I haven't sold my soul to this machine. Right. And that's the difference. See, I started out. I by realized that there was a hack and I gave up my ability to vote for president for lower taxes in a U.S. territory. That's a valid approach. See, I, I started out selling my soul. My, uh, my first night, I, I don't remember how exactly things played out, but I, was, I, I liked George W. Bush, right? Okay. He seemed like and it, you know, it was just something everyone said. You don't change presidents during a war. That's crazy, right? <laughs> so I was just like, yeah, everyone, that's obviously, right? You know, <laughs> didn't, didn't have a clue what I was talking about. But everyone I knew, uh, this was Mississippi, everyone I knew was a Republican so supporting George Why W. Not? Bush. I was like, yeah, okay. Clearly, well, it makes sense. Well, then I became old enough to vote, and I realized that, you know, that George W. Bush actually kind of sucked as a president, and there was a lot of war and stuff that I did not approve of. And then came along Barack Obama, who promised he you know he was going to be the peaceful president they gave him a nobel peace prize they gave him a nobel peace prize before I mean, before he did anything before he dropped uh, more cruise missiles than all other peace prize winners combined and there's a lot of confusion among younger millennials about what exactly barack obama did wrong they think well he he didn't take out the corporations and the the banks that he promised it was like no 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 you 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 stupid young little person listen to me he never promised to go after the banks and corporations. His promise was almost exclusively to promote peace throughout the world, to fix America's warmongering, evil, aggressive image, and to portray an image of peace, to actually end some of these wars. That was the great Obama betrayal. Not had nothing to do with the economy. We just wanted there to be some damn peace. And, of course, Barack Obama did absolutely none of that. Dropped more bombs than any Nobel Peace Prize winner in human history. Probably than any Nobel Peace Prize winner for the rest of human history. And well, that was what awakened me. I was like, all right, so the Republican thing, that didn't work. The Democrat thing, that didn't work. What else is there on the table? And it was around that I discovered this this fake documentary-ish thing called Zeitgeist, which is really good, but it, it stretches the truth in a lot of places. Yes. And I think it's important for people to realize that. My favorite is, uh, it was described as uh, Marxism with robots. Well, this was later on, right? <laughs> this was when they did Zeitgeist Addendum and Zeitgeist Moving Forward, the original yep. movie, the very the first one. one that started yeah. out talking it about Christianity. more talks about the problems than the solutions. Yes. It just talks, it, it identifies the problems, and it does well at that. And they did become hardcore communists after that. I mean, the, the whole thing, I was like, okay, I'm good. Yep. But the first one... Any, any, any environment that isn't explicitly uh, hostile to liberals will be taken over by them. That's fair, yeah. So it was interesting to see that. That that awoke me. That made me aware of this politician named Ron Paul. Just very briefly, it showed him as one of these politicians. You know, people like saying, you know, if we could just elect enough honest politicians. And during that segment, it showed Ron Paul and Ron Paul for That's really the worst thing about Ron Paul 
is that he in fact is the honest politician and but he's it, so it, rare he it, <laughs> it it gives those people hope that you can find 435 of these people uh, no. you know to make for the u.s house and then another hundred for the u.s senate and somehow they're not going to be corrupted by the system because the system not only does it attract corrupt people and it certainly attracts corrupt people the most successful sociopaths are the ones that get elected but once they get in there, it also corrupts the uncorrupted. And only Ron Paul can claim um, to sort of have been uncorrupted by this. And some will point out that he... Um, On a national level, sure, but we've had, some, we've had some state reps here in New Hampshire that could make the same claim. Sure, I would agree with that. Um, I mean, But there's I, a lot less at stake as a New Hampshire state rep than as a U.S. state rep. Well, the, the higher you go up on the ladder, the more attention the voter pays. If sure. you're talking about um, how many you know people, if if there was an election for state reps that didn't include other votes for other things, you'd probably get three or five percent of the population to vote here in New yeah. Hampshire, where voting is basically the state sport. So, um, is if they don't have the president to buoy them up, what I mean, you ask the state reps, you ask them, um, what's the most important factor for you getting elected? The answer is. Which president is in office? Which which direction are people voting that particular election? I believe it. I mean, we sort of saw the same thing last year when I ran for mayor of Keene. I, I don't remember this. I, I think I ran for mayor. Where the, the turnout was, there were fewer than like 700 votes or something like that throughout the entire town of Keene, if I remember correctly. It was just an abysmal. 22,000 people. Yeah, it was an abysmally low turnout. So it People don't care. They care about the presidential election, which I think is not where their eyes should be. Their eyes should be closer to the ground rather than Absolutely. on the, the vague, distant president whose, whose machinations actually have no impact on their life. If Trump hasn't pro- didn't prove that, I don't know what's going to. Yeah. Well, they didn't learn their lesson when nothing changed when we went from Obama to Trump and from Trump to Biden. They didn't seem to notice, so... Maybe it's just never going to change. But what a time for today. You can catch us here tomorrow at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. And you can find us online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. Iconic guitarist Eric Clapton's lifelong passion for the blues burns brightly in a new film and soundtrack release entitled Nothing But the Blues. The documentary film, which was nominated for an Emmy Award, has been upgraded to 4K for its long-awaited official Blu-ray and DVD release. The new soundtrack album features all of the music from the 1995 film and also includes more than an hour of previously unreleased live performances, Eric spoke about his lifelong love and respect for the blues. Muddy's songs have been the hardest. The hardest. And I probably... He meant a great deal to me, and uh, his music still does mean... uh, Probably more than anybody else's. I don't know why. It was the first, really, that got to me, and it still is the most important music in my life today, is the music of Muddy Waters. And it's been the hardest. It's some kind of perfectionism in me that in that I love this man so much that I want to do it absolutely perfectly. And, of course, that's not possible. 
That's iconic guitarist Eric Clapton, whose long-awaited documentary film and music soundtrack, Nothing But the Blues, will be released on multiple formats on June 24th. Order now at ericclapton.com. Tell my friend.